Welcome to A Book in the Territory Season 2, where we look at the beginnings and ends, the firsts and lasts, the alphas and omegas of professional wrestling. Our wrestling fans from Greenville, South Carolina's Memorial Auditorium, welcome to another action-packed, exciting hour of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, professional wrestling like it used to be and the way you like it. I'm Bob Caudill, and on this week's program, you're going to be seeing such outstanding stars as White Lightning, Tim Horner, Fantastics, Bobby Fulton is going to be here, as well as primetime Brian Lee and mysterious Black Scorpion also is going to be here, fans. We'll be talking with two managers. We'll be talking with Ron Ward and also with Jim Cornette and with a commissioner, Smoky Mountain Commissioner, Bob Armstrong. Our big main event, Bobby Fulton of the Fantastics against the Russian Bear, Ivan Kolov. And what a match that's going to be. I'm one half of your hosting duo, Dan Griffin, joined as ever by my partner in podcasting, Piss Edry, UTT. Rob, Rob, how are you, buddy? I'm good, mate. I'm good. In the run-up to Christmas, so obviously this episode will drop about March. So, yeah, happy Easter, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> happy, happy Easter 2023, indeed. Well, 2023, you're optimistic. <laughs> yeah, 2024, I meant to say, but I fucked up a joke, so isn't that just classic UTT? always a good day when we've got uh, got a new guest on and we're joined by uh, you'll probably know him as Trey Butler on Twitter it's uh, Matt Butler how are you pal now then how's it going lads you right? yeah not too bad we heard you chuckling so I thought I'd bring you in straight away <laughs> great to have you on obviously this was uh, loosely uh, loosely mooted over a, a few jars in Brew York in Leeds and, uh, and now we're here quick turnaround time fantastic it'll be interesting to take a little wander down Memory, memory lane with rednecks. <laughs> it certainly will. But before we get on to uh, onto what we're covering, uh, we did give you a bit of homework. And you know, normally certain podcasts will ask, you know, how did you get into wrestling, all all that usual stuff. But uh, we're genetic freaks and we're not normal, so we asked you to uh, to rank our five factors that make up uh, make up wrestling in order of importance to you: uh, storyline, presentation, promos in-ring work and fan response so have you done your own work i have although i think i did that more on the actual episode in question so in no particular order because i won't remember them i would probably go in-ring work storylines promos presentation and whatever the fifth one is that i've not read out <laughs> fan response last and that kind of goes along it with gives my way, stuff you? about the fans <laughs> <laughs> now you're thinking like Vince or Tony Khan to be fair <laughs> it didn't seem that was Vince for a, a good portion of the mid 2000s so you know I, I just tend to soak <laughs> up whatever's put in front of me long suffering I think that's pretty much the same list Dan had he, he was like fuck the fans at the end <laughs> I was, but I, but I put storyline first on mine, and I think in-ring work came about third or fourth, because I'm just a grumpy old man who wants to be sat in a chair and tell the story. Yeah, we, we don't get many people on this show who like in-ring work. It's, it's an oddity for us to speak to a wrestling fan. <laughs> yeah. the, the, well, the motto from season one was the least important part of the wrestling is the wrestling. Yeah, well, you know, and, and it's good that we picked this particular promotion where, you know, in-ring work rivals some of the best New Japan stuff that was produced in sort of like the mid-90s. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that today is going to be all about the England work. Oh, okay. yeah, how could, how could it not be? 
<laughs> is that the, is that the theme of today's show? Everything plus rednecks. Well, no, I think we should you know a couple of sprinkles of hillbilly. Um, let's see where we get to. One homemade still about to explode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the mullet when it's split between a number of friends? Holy crap! If this wasn't the most mullet tastic program I've seen in years, I mean, I thought the new gen era of WWE or WWF was all about the mullets, but not a shadow on these boys, I don't think. Oh, oh time will tell, but episode one. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, 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 we've, we've been sort of we've been sort of beating around the bush about it, but this uh, this mullet uh, mullet laden redneck fest is the uh, the first episode of Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, that we're going to be doing because uh, Matt's been doing a watch back and we were talking about it as I said in the pub. But before we get on to the wrestling itself, we've got much more important business. Is anybody drinking? Matt, are you having a beverage? I am. Yeah. You know, I've been watching uh, or listening to you guys for quite a while. And so I thought I'd keep up. So I'm actually drinking a uh, a little brew from Yorkshire. I would love to say it's Clay Pale IPA, but it's not. It's um, it's fizzy spring water with some ice, boys. I'm sorry. I've got a train in the morning. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fair enough. It's a zero percenter. Very clean on the palate. It's that, that stuff that you normally start off beer with, isn't it? Water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just missing like another three key ingredients, but you know, it's on its way. Yeah, fair enough. Now, th- there's never any pressure to drink on this show, as you know, but uh, I've uh, I've decided that I'm just getting to walk up a little bit throaty today, so I'm uh, I'm having the alcohol to uh, to to stave off the lurgy. Rob, what are you on, mate? Yeah, so I'm starting off with a Bianca, which is a Blackberry Maple Pancake Lassie Goes. Uh, it's from Omnipolo, and it's 7%. Oh, Rob, you're a dirty bitch. I know, I know. I, I love those beers. I, I don't have to be up at uh, 6.30, so <laughs> I am going to be drinking. Then I have a, talking about Brew York, I have a Here's of Thunder Modern uh, Pale Ale at 4.2%. Not too shabby at all. Yeah, and then to follow that, I've got a Willow the Wisp, which is a wit beer. So 4.8%, and it's from Tartarus Beers. And if you're wondering Tartarus Beers, you can log on to tartarusbeers.co.uk, put in the promo code UTTPODCAST15 and get 15% off. Or you can go to their new taproom, although by the time this comes out, it's probably been open six months. You've got the new taproom in Leeds. I don't have the address on me, but it's where North Bruco used to be. Google it, you'll find it. I'm joining you on the Tartarus train, Rob, but first up, there's a fucking shit fart can moped goes by my house. Sounds like Evil Knievel's jumping off your house, then. Look, what's he been drinking, though? Just fuck off. Yeah, uh, I can't podcast, but he's doing a drive-by. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lot of years since he had a moped. I'm on the Tartarus as well. I'm on Erebus, which is a raspberry chocolate cake imperial stout. A, a pleasant sedate 14.5%. I've just had my first sip, and shock horror, it's bloody delicious. And then after that, I've got a Tartarus collab. The Tartarus and Full Circle Brew Co. is called Parking at the Moon, which is a Yorkshire Parking Imperial Stout. Uh, taking a step down there from the, the big hitter at 14.5 and going down to, uh, to 12.5 for my second one. But that'll probably be me for the night. What you mean, two bottles of wine? <laughs> Excellent stuff. <laughs> he just wants something nice to settle his stomach before he starts drinking. <laughs> yeah. 
I think to oh. see what you drink when you've got a full-blown flip. <laughs> this is what you're drinking when you're on the sniffles. <laughs> the irony is nothing. Or I'll just go straight for the whiskey. So, yeah, that's the, that's the drinks out of the way for, for that bit. But as we said, we're looking at Smoky Mountain Wrestling today. And do you lads have any recommendations that what people should drink while they're watching this? Uh, Rob, we'll go to you first. Yeah, I'm going for Conquering Mountains from uh, Glenarvic Brewery. It's uh, an 8% Imperial Double New England IPA. Pretty middle of the road, but uh, I didn't have any beers that were flagging up with Smoky and only had two with Mountains, and they both got two and a half, so <laughs> scraping the barrel for this recommendation. Yeah, it still sounds pretty good. Matt, what would you recommend? Oh, yeah, I'd like a... Uh, well, what we would be drinking is a uh, quadruple hopped uh, cheesecake topped with chocolate sundae sprinkles um, rounded off with Bakewell Tart Imperial IPA Stout. <laughs> Basically, I'll I just get a punch hole okay. and just tip all of those crazy-flavoured beers that you get into it, and that would be mine. Sadly, just water. So what would you call that cocktail? <laughs> what would I call that cocktail? I'll come back to you with that. It's uh, um, Jim Cornette's tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, I did have a, a beer that related to smoke. Um, I'd recommend Smog Rocket by Beaver Town. It's a 5.4% smoke beer that I gave 4.25 to Untapped. It were, and look, it, it was very bloody good. Can't go wrong with it, really. So, oh, no, I nearly forgot. Has, uh, has, have we got a recommendation from Beth, or is she still on hiatus? Well, she's still on hiatus, but let's see what she's untapped recently. Anything 2.5 or under? 2.5 or under? Oh, we might have to go our way back. She's been giving some high ratings recently. So oh. she did have a last mango in Balock from Loch Lomond Brewery that she gave two and a half, but I'd opened it and she stole it from me because she said that she wanted to drink it and then gave it two and a half, so. Because that's how relationships work. It is, yeah, give and take. I'd have called that drink the heavenly full-bodied. In reference to heavenly bodies. That that fell flat, didn't it? <laughs> I did have a ch- I did have a chuckle, but I was on mute so I could cough because I didn't want anybody to hear me cough and fart on the recording. Uh, well, permission to cough and fart, mate. <laughs> and chuckle. Oh wow, well, <laughs> that's everything I had planned for the night. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so now is the point of the show where I'm just going to do a bit of background on Smoky Mountain, and Matt can tell me how much of it I've got wrong. Smoky Mountain. Oh. <laughs> Smoky Mountain was a pro wrestling promotion based in Knoxville, Tennessee that held events in the Appalachian area of the United States from October 1991 to December 1995 and was run by Jim Cornette. I think the basics are right there, aren't they, Matt? Yes. <laughs> uh, Cornette founded the promotion in October 1991 upon leaving World Championship Wrestling uh, with Sandy Scott and was banked financially by music producer Rick Rubin. Uh, the first events and TV tapings were held in, in the October and November 91, and matches of the shows uh, from these shows were first shown in February 1992. Tonight's episode was taped on the 30th of October 91 in front of 280 people in the Greenville Memorial Auditorium in South Carolina and went on to air on the 1st of February 1992. 
So I don't have too much on the background there. I don't know if you guys have any uh, anything further to add. Well, I think it's important to uh, understand who Rick Rubin was and what Rick Rubin produced and then go, what the hell was he doing working with Jim Cornette? It just didn't <laughs> feel to me like a match made in heaven because like, let's have a, have a look at what Rick Rubin produced. I'm Googling it, admittedly. <laughs> Rick Rubin musical production discography. All I, know about, all I know about Rick Rubin is he's got a mighty beard and he was involved in everything from country to heavy metal to hip-hop. Run the MC's Reign in Hell, Slayer's Reign in Blood, Beastie Boys Licensed to Ill, Jim Cornette, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Spot oh, I founded Def Jam. Yeah. The cult yeah, it's a bit... Um... <laughs> Jim Cornette, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You know, you could do this all day long. The <laughs> fast, die fast. He executive produced two albums for Shakira. In 2005, then in 2007, did Linkin Park's uh, Minutes to Midnight. <laughs> it's none so. And Smoky Mountain Wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Same year he's producing Red Hot Chili Peppers, basically everything that Red Hot Chili Peppers have ever done in their peak. And Smoky Mountain. I suppose it's di- the diversification of what you want to do with your money, I suppose. Or throw it away, but you know, when you're a fan of the NWA and it's sort of waning, who do you call up? Well, you you, you call up Dr. Dre for your hip-hop or your Beastie Boys. You call up Jim Cornette to set up a wrestling promotion, surely. I'm just going to say, it says here that uh, Ruben had a season ticket for the Madison Square Garden events in the 1970s for WWF. So, oh, fine. Uh, it, wow. Yeah. See, because it's you and you said season ticket, I thought you were going to tell me it was Huddersfield Town fan. Well, well I mean, <laughs> all right thinking people are, so I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> That's a bit mad, though, isn't it? Like you said, executive producing Red Hot Chili Peppers and heavily and financially backing Smoky Mountain Wrestling. But, well, hey, I, to each their own. I, I was having a look at what song was number one in America at the time that the first TV taping came out. But I think going forward, if we do any more of these, we should try and have a look at what Rick Rubin's latest release was and sort of try and see where his mindset was for when the show was. Does anyone want to have a guess what was number one on the 1st of February 1992 in the US? 1st of February 92, number one. Well, in the UK, we'd have had a good chance of it being the one and only Chesney Hawks, wouldn't we? I'm guessing you're not going to say that. Uh, not when I said the US, no. no. <laughs> I have no idea. All right. Okay. Well, I- I'll give you a clue. It would probably be what Chris Candido was thinking about the boys in the back at that time. They're all banging sunny. Uh, don't let the sun go down on me. By <laughs> <laughs> I was oddly close. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear God's sake it, it, was, it was a different time wasn't it Yeah it was Although it, it, when I saw the first like Shots of Greenville South Carolina it, it was probably the same time as it has been For about the last 30 years there I know you guys tend to do um, You know Sign of the night and whatnot, And 
I thought we might want to do a little play on that because, number one, there were no signs. But I was thinking along the lines of bungling the crowd. So <coughs> did you have your favourite fan that stuck out for you on that show because there were some corkers? And I would suggest early on, before we even watch it, keep an eye out for Dalmatian Lady. You'll see her, front, left and centre. I didn't see anybody. She's like Cruella Deville, the hillbilly version. The kid's so bored during the show, I think she gets a book out during the main event and is just clearly reading it while the kids are watching. So you're now attempting to actually get the uh, to get the, to get the show up while we're talking. <laughs> so I can't believe I missed that. I was too intent on what was going on in the ring. Yeah. To the right, or centre-left of hard cam, polka dot. Cruella Deville jacket, you can't miss off. Well, while I'm looking for that, what did you guys think to the uh, to the opening graphics and the opening uh, the opening montage? Well, we've said before about Commodore Amigas doing the graphic. I mean, this was a C64 digitized graphic of uh, Smoky Mountains. <laughs> it was terrible, wasn't it? It was, it was absolutely <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Both things are true. I mean, it was brilliant how terrible it was. I mean, I always liked the sort of like catchphrase of, you know, wrestling the way it used to be and the way that you like it. And that's completely true if you like NWA but wish it came from Wish. It's essentially <laughs> that, isn't it? And that opening credits set it off a tree. The only problem was the opening credits were essentially clips from the opening show. So yeah. there were spoilers <laughs> all the way out, which was not necessarily a shame given the quality of the in-ring action, more a case of absolutely nothing was left on the cutting room floor with this one. It was all on the show. And given how much licensed music was on the show, it was a brave choice to have the theme tune of the show be the Casio keyboard um, auto-tune number one, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think they, they had a choice between that and... Spoiler for later on in the episode, the Black Scorpions entrance music. <laughs> I think they made the right choice. Yeah, but they, they kept they, they never they were never sat there long enough so you could see how bad it was. So they just like zoom in, you'd see a blip of something happening. The thing is, you really have to get on board with that music. That that needs to get ingrained in you, like the the theme music of like Strictly uh, Come Dancing or whatnot. Yeah, because if you don't like it you're up shit creek with this programme because they play that sodding bit of music for this episode and every other preceding episode probably about six or seven times over the course of the show. They get their mileage out of that track, <laughs> don't they? Well, there is a theme on this show that really has got inside my head and uh, it's probably going to be top of my Spotify wrapped for next year. I'm not even joking. that There is a real earworm on one of the licensed music on this show, which we'll come to in a bit. Well, yeah, and it starts off pretty well because the opening bout between local... Well, he's a featured talent, but Green Onions for the wrestler called Killer Kyle versus usually I'd say lock up your daughters, but, I mean, I'd probably say lock up your kids because rock and roll Robert Gibson was in town. <laughs> well, you've, you've missed some quality Bob Coddle fuck-ups before this because... Oh, yeah, uh, it was an opener. Yeah, yeah, so Bob Coddle says that Ron Ward is going to be on the show instead of Ron Ryan. 
he calls Dutch Mantel the dirty Dutch man. So, you know, it's like... <laughs> uh, the thing is, uh, that, that's a really good point in the opening of the show, because, like, you know, you've been given that theme music, you know, it, I suppose it's meant to give you ideas of it, it, we're action, we're excitement, we're legit, this is pro wrestling, the rate that you like it. And then you get Bob Coddle in his suit, in his glasses, bit of an old-timey feel, excellent. And then that stood next to him, straight face, no hint of irony. He's flipping Dutch Mansell, complete with Whopper Stetson, Poncho and Ball Rope, <laughs> taking himself seriously. Now, what's not lost on me is the fact that Jim Corner absolutely shits on Excalibur for his mask and everything else. Yet back in 1992, perfectly acceptable to have your colour guy, Dutch Mantel, come out dressed like that. I think Dutch Mantel was uh, an undercover agent for the police. It's like the episode of The Simpsons where they sent Homer in with the, the massive hat with the camera in it. But, but Dutch was looking... <laughs> Dutch was looking completely unimpressed with the card that was being run down by Bob Coddle. <laughs> it was like, at least he didn't absolutely, at least he didn't absolutely shit on it like Terry Funkini on the first episode of ECW. That's very true. I mean, yeah. we tried to take it seriously, but um, it, it wasn't a stellar cast for episode one, guys. I, I suppose that that roster was worn. Can you imagine what the, the dark matches were, considering some of the talent match they got into the uh, the first episode? Because, blimey, it was... There, there were barrels that had been scraped to put this on air. You, you make You're telling me that... How much Rick Rubin had actually earned at that point in time, because he's not invested a shitload <laughs> in this promotion, has he? Well, you don't get rich by spending money, do you? <laughs> That's very he's, he's no, He's no JV rich. No. no can, can you imagine if he'd had Dutch Mantel washing his uh, plates at the start of the episode in the kitchen? That would have been brilliant. The whole thing about going to Dutch Mantel and Bob Coddle, and we keep going back through the night, I have a sneaking suspicion that these two were in Satellite Base. Oh, don't make me play. Oh, no. Do you know what? I'm going to tell you, absolutely, they were not, because I think you can see them at some point. This is, I think this is shot, I I don't know, what what was it called again? uh, I did write this down. The Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, it's like a civic building. Greenville Greenville Memorial Auditorium. There we go. So I think in future episodes, and I can't imagine this was any different, it's sort of. The setup is shot very similar to NWA show, so rather, all right, it's not in a studio, but the table with the announcers is essentially just to the right of stage. It's either behind a curtain or hiding in plain sight, and certainly when they start to um, move the programme around in sort of future episodes, um, yeah, it's all plain sight type stuff. Not to suggest this might not have been, but that was my impression. See, I thought Rob was just trying to get me to play a drinking game with a 14% beer. I think it is Satellite Base on this episode, and I think Satellite Base, drink. All right. <laughs> what a shame. <sighs> they sort of give us that rundown, don't they, of what we're going to see. The main event's going to be Bobby Fulton versus Ivan Koloff, and they make a big thing about prime time, Brian Lee, and to yeah. see what he see, uh, sort of first look at him and see what he has to offer. And they throw They're it straight nice. to the ring. They're quite good at establishing... I mean, in episode one, 
well, we'll run down the card. I thought things that they did well, like, oh, okay, you know, the talent pool at the moment and possibly throughout the run, but at the moment isn't very deep. So in episode one, they at least tried to establish who the top babyface is. And they've chosen primetime Brian Lee. I think it'll be interesting to get your guys' thoughts about, you know, what the underfaker was like when he was in his sort of pomp, I suppose. This is possibly peak Brian Lee that we're going to see. Um, oh, God. Well, considering where his career ended up, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I was just going to say, I'd rather have Jason Lee than Brian Lee at this point. Pineapple <laughs> on his head. How many of your viewers will know who Jason Lee is? Oh, well, we, we have a demographic of a certain age group. <laughs> All your viewers will know who Jason Lee is. <laughs> but first matchup is is Robert Gibson, the uh, the one half of the uh, the Rock and Roll Express, the uh, the Genetti of the Rock and Roll Express versus Killer Kyle. And and he's Wait. stolen Paul Man's jacket. I know the bastard. Old Pontunais himself, one sticks and the other twists. Rock and Roll Robert Gibson. Uh, but did, did you clock what Killer Kyle got, uh, went to the ring to the music? Oh, Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs, right? I, I nearly got Steve Butter Booker that better. <laughs> 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 I've got it on vinyl. It's one of my earliest records from <clears throat> Stax Records, I think it was. I don't think it was on Atlantic. I'm pretty sure it's Stax. I'll let someone which, tell me I'm wrong. Which sounds decent, but then Robert Gibson coming out to Rock and Roll is King by Yellow. Yeah, he did. <laughs> What's your view on that track? God, it, it wasn't great, was it? I know they use licensed music, but Jesus. But I'd never heard of Killer Carl before. So I had a quick look into his career. Mm. And he's, you know, enhancement talent guy in WWF and WCW at this point, mostly on WD, uh, WCW Saturday Night Pro and, and Shotgun Saturday Night on the other side. This guy had some severe low points in his career including jobbing out to the booty man and to Terry booty, Taylor. Booty, booty. And if we just may say, fuck Terry Taylor. FTT. FTT. FTT from UTT. I did quite like that they were giving it, you know, giving the, uh, you know, one, four, 15 minute time limit. I don't mind that kind of throwback sort of thing. Um, I quite like that. But I saw, as soon as I saw Killer Kyle wrestling in suspenders, I immediately wanted them to get twanged. Well, <laughs> and make that comedic boing, oing, 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 oing noise. Yeah, but just, uh, no, just get him right on the nips. Oh, you mean, oh, right, okay. Well, that, that could be the noise it makes after it hits them. But all I can think about was, I'm pretty, I can't remember if it was Wing Commander Nash who did a similar spot. Got twanged right on the nips. It was Wing Commander Nash or Gene Money, one of the two. Got twanged right on the nips, and it, it was, I was quite inebriated, but it was comedy gold. It was one of the commentators quite early on said that Killer Kyle looks like a street fighter. But what, what street? <laughs> but I was going to say, yeah, which, which street fighter have you ever seen that sort of come to the ring in a, tie, in a, in a suit and a, in a hat? Braces. M. Bison. <laughs> Did M. Bison have braces? Well, we, ne- we never saw him take his jacket off. <laughs> Shrugging his braces. Did you prove anything with facts, Rob? Yeah. My favourite thing from the commentators, Dutch Mantel said the Rock and Roll Express released a, a record once, no, and it was yeah. on the 
on the verge of going plywood. It sold in excess of 75 copies. Well, <laughs> they were sort of on form in this one. Uh, straight out of the get-go, loved the relationship between Bob and Dutch. Dutch is clearly a very good colour commentator, and I think he, over the course of the show, he treads like quite a good line between putting himself over, putting talent and holds over, and actually having a pop at the faces as you'd sort of expect and want from like a good heel comment, colour commentator. He's actually really, really good. I think Bob, decent play-by-play, but I think sometimes he does say some odd things. And from not knowing who Ron Wright was at the very start, quite early in the match, he's done a big thing about this is size versus speed. Fair enough. And then he says, as the going for uh, Gibson's going for shoulder blocks in the old hit the ropes, shoulder block. Oh, he moves Killer Cal a little bit, hit the other ropes. Oh, he moves him a little bit. Yeah. At the same time, he goes, You can't knock him down, but you can take him off his feet. I'm like, well, that's literally knocking him down, isn't it? So when he then hits him, he <laughs> knocks Kyle over. It's just like, why? How would you say that? That makes absolutely no sense. I'll be honest, the commentary on this, a, a lot of it just faded into background noise for me, but the good stuff I recall did did all come from Dutch Mantel. Oh, you're joking. All, all the way through the first part of the match, like, oh, look at Robert, Robert Gibson's knee. Oh, he's had some work done on that knee. No one told Kyle that because the entire match just works on his arm, doesn't he? I've got that in my notes. It's like it would have been really nice if they'd joined up commentary in the match. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that now you said it, but... It, yeah, a lot of it, I just, it, it was just like buzzing in the background to me. I didn't pay attention, I just couldn't pay attention to it. it the commentary was probably drowned out for you by the bounciness of the ring. It, it was it. That was a problem, yeah. Yeah. But what, were you surprised by the audience? Because in fairness, the audience in the Smoky Mountain area, apart from being deprived of money and opportunities in life, have clearly been deprived of wrestling as well because they were fairly animated for quite a lot of the show, I felt. Which gave it a decent look and feel for me, even though it's in shonky old hall. But they make the most of the, what, three, five hundred people that they've got in there? 280, it, according to the attendance figure I found. The 280 people that they've got in there? <laughs> it, it looks it looks a lot better attended than that, the way that yeah. they shot it. Yeah, whether they just, you know, moved everybody around to... To one side and you know done the old camera trick but either way yeah it, it, it looked it looked a lot more but i could only go by what i found and it said 280 so i don't think they were missing a zero off the end of it mm. i thought killer crowd did actually quite well in his role do you know what i mean it's a case of yeah he's been there with clearly a very established very good talent he played his part well for the few minutes that they gave him and yeah. It was like a fairly well worked victory roll finish, you know. Nothing too wrong in the in the match itself. It's a match that you've seen a million times before with big man, small man, but you didn't come away from there going, "Well, Kyle's rubbish." Spots were botched. Everything looked mm-hmm. and did the part quite well. And the fact that they gave Kyle, well, Robert Gibson. I wouldn't say a flukes roll up, but it came off a mistake from uh, Killer Cow. It means that they've still sort of kept him 
semi-relevant going into future episodes. So, you know, early signs that the booking here is clearly being well worked. Um, I don't know whether you yeah. were looking I'd, at that. I'd call it a, a solid enough opener where you get the, you know, it's intended to get the crowd up with an established baby face going over a, you know, a proper physical threat. The, the heel, the, you know, the, the big heel hasn't looked weak in losing. There'd be a market in a rematch. You know, Carl can cut a promo saying, you know, it was a fluke win and all of that. So, yeah, I think it did its job fine. It, it wasn't breaking any boundaries. It wasn't, you know, blowing you away apart from one bit where, Gibson hit this weird, like, jumping move that was, I don't know if it was meant to be a clothesline that just went a bit wrong, but ended up look, looking a bit like a bulldog or like a sling blade without the spin. Yeah. It's like what Bret Hart used to do was his part of the heart attack. Yeah, you're right. I think that was at the point where uh, your man had said, uh, you can't knock him down, but you can take him off his feet, <laughs> which was when he'd hit that move. Yeah, it was probably about then, yeah. Uh, what did you reckon to the match, Rob? Yeah, yeah, it kind of what was what it was. Um, yeah, they've sold this show on it being uh, traditional wrestling, so you know they're, they're going to. Uh, Rob, I don't think you pronounce that properly, mate. Uh, traditional what? Wrestling, <laughs> the way you like it. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the yeah, that's three A's, four S's, L I N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so a lot. Of, well, this and probably what I'll say for a lot of the matches on the show kind of, kind of were what they were. Um, yeah. I, I did think it was a big disconnect though with the story that commentary was telling about the knee and that not coming across in the match because you could have had some nice sort of in-ring storytelling with that. But yeah, it, it wasn't too long. Did, didn't really upset me. And as you say, the um, the finish leaves things open, so didn't wow me, but but certainly didn't uh, annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> Middle of the road, I think, is the yeah. nicest thing. Yeah, you yeah. I mean, you know, if you were making um, this out of five, it's a simple squash match. I mean, it's not going to set the world alight. There was no major story plot point. It's episode one. We've got an established face, which presumably appeals quite well to, you know, the Smoky Mountain area and got the crowd up a bit. All right. Job yeah. well done, and I think. And- Thinking back to the commentary as well, they did a good job of, of listing Gibson's accolades as a as a tag wrestler, and you know, see, you know, let's see how that translates to singles, which I quite liked as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, that doesn't add anything. Speaking of sort of generic, but you know, not upsetting, um, we get a promo from the Fantastics, and it was just about the most generic babyface promo I could ever think of. Could you think of a worse name for the Fantastics? Because I would like to call them the Oxymorons. Because they're anything but, <laughs> are they? Really. The bang averages. Well, you, you've got to think <laughs> about the evolution of this tag team, because previously, before Jackie Fulton was in the team, Tommy Rogers was there. He was. Uh, and then pr- prior to that, it was the fantastic ones. And that involved Terry Taylor. Fuck Terry Taylor. But, but fuck Terry Taylor. Exactly. So I think they're pretty fantastic compared to anything involving Terry Taylor. Well, the fantastic yeah, asterisk <laughs> small disclaimer yeah. it's about it's a value add statement they're not talking about absolutes <laughs> so every time they put up their name in caps underneath it is just like you know the small insurance writing there's all yeah. the little disclaimers of what they're actually not and then as far as I'm in, interest, interest rate of 2000% AP exactly so you know, 
a rambly promo. While I didn't write it down, I do remember writing that it was full of alliteration. They do like down south to, and the root into in best in flute in wrestler. They, they they love a bit of alliteration. The Fultons were, uh, yeah, oh, not it was rhyming and all sorts. Yeah, I, I, I wrote the this, toughest match. <laughs> I wrote this down because Bobby Fulton says, "Call off, I know you can get me in the nasty." The thing is, there, there were a few moments like that all the way through. The, there was a there was a pretty good one at the start of match two, and I think you know you do have to sort of like raise an eyebrow to some of the comments here. But it's not well, it's not for me to say, but it will be for me to point out. But <laughs> so Bobby got done with his bit, right? And then we're introduced for the first time to the authority figure of uh, smoking oh, out in. But you're skipping two bits because first there was a oh, wide yeah. first there was a wide angle shot of the ring where fuck all happened. Felt very yeah. like uh, New Japan on the break, and then we're back in satellite base. Oh god, Shoot. drink! And you still didn't spot Dalmatian woman. Nope. I was too busy waiting for something to happen. <laughs> yeah, so after the fantastic spend about a minute trying to get across that they're gonna that gonna fight Koloff later on, uh, Bob Cardles uh, pre he previews his own interview with Bullet Bob Armstrong, and then just says, "Oh, we've got that right now. Roll the tape. Here's the conversation I'm going to have. Here it is." Chantel <laughs> looked absolutely disgusted with them. <laughs> they were brilliant. <laughs> he, he could have just said, "I sat down earlier with that Smoky Mountain Commissioner Bullet Bob Armstrong." And just ruled the footage, but he's asking Bob Armstrong what he's going to bring. You know, bring as the commissioner, and this was well. I think probably, ram- rambling is the nicest he, I can he, be. What was Bob going to bring as the commissioner? Probably about everything that he did as an active performer. Fuck off. <laughs> Word count. <laughs> Thing is, they've thought about. Have they thought about the presentation here? Because like your man comes out. That horrible plaid shirt buttoned up with a tie on top of it is Rene Goulet, a poor man's Rene Goulet on his bonds. I was going to say thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do not disparage the good name of Rene. In all fairness to Bob Armstrong, he knew we'd be reviewing this later and <laughs> possible possible chance at a Rene Goulet award. Well, on um, this show, he doesn't have a chance. But he's going to introduce Dines, you know. He's going to be tough, tough on cheaters, tough on the causes of cheaters. So no over-the-top rope, no foreign objects, and you give that referee some respect. What do we think to the uh, the rule set? I don't mm-hmm. mind a rule set in wrestling. And I guess to a certain extent, if you put a rule set in place, it gives you an opportunity to to cheat because you've got the lines in the sand that you can base that around. But I guess if you have got a rule set in place, do you want to break it straight away? <laughs> well, you, 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 you've skipped ahead in the program and you think they may break it. <laughs> no, no. As Bob Orton was leaving this promo, he jumped over the top rope. Hang on, if he jumps over the top rope, that is not breaking. If he was tossed over the top rope, absolutely fine. You've got Bob Cardle to throw him over. I don't, I don't mind the I don't mind the 
you know, a, a rule set in wrestling, it, you know, it, it can it can make it unique. It can make it that much, you know, that much better yeah. and give more opportunities for the heels, you know, to get themselves over it, et cetera, et cetera. But all that I thought when I was hearing it was, it sounds like everything that I think it was, it was it who brought those rules into WCW later on than this. And it just about, and it just about sort of killed it. We had that episode where the cat had, um, you know, brought in the no interference rules. And then on the very next show, there was a load of interference and, and the crowd just didn't accept it because they were like, well, he told us this on Monday and it's Wednesday and you're already breaking it. Yeah, yeah I remember that. I was, I was thinking earlier on, in, obviously a lot earlier on, more around early 90s time in WCW, somebody came in to take over. I, don't, I can't remember if it was yeah. Bill Watts that brought that in or somebody else, but off the top of my head. Yeah, I think it is all, I think it does stem from the NWA, and I think it's all about the... I mean, the rules in Smoky Mountain and or some of the stuff from Territory Days is to add that layer of realism. So if you dob your man over the top rope, you're likely to cripple him, and therefore that's not good. You, mm. you know, keep it clean, respect your referee. This is a sporting contest. And so it's trying to establish kayfabe and credibility and obviously uh, as we all alluded to giving you sufficient scope for your heels to be dastardly i think personally speaking my favorite say my favorite one of my favorite rule sets was the old pure title from ring of honor in about 2005 2006 you know try to turn it into a more of a legit sporting contest, rope breaks, you know, you could have two of them on the third, then your opponents could put you in the ropes and have their way with you. And so I think little gimmicks, sets of rules can actually be quite powerful when they're used appropriately. And the thing is with this set of Smoky Mountain is if everyone abides by them and it's just known, then it really starts to stick out when someone really goes over and above, you know? So I think there's a bit of mileage to it, but it's whatever float your boat, isn't it, really? Yeah, of course. It's a, one thing I did like from, from Armstrong, amongst all of his sort of ramblings, was that he said about having family prices and, you know, and being a part of a community and listening to the people and, and you know, and, cut, and frequently referring to wrestling as a sport. Um, when you, when you talk about wrestling, thank you. Sorry, yeah. as you know, referring to wrestling as a sport, yeah. and and like you say, just trying, just are you trying to use that to re-establish the you know the kayfabe of it? That I thought that was half decent. I always really worry though when any promotion says we're going to listen to the fans because you know wrestling fans famously agree with each other about everything, don't they? Yeah, that's why they well, it was a lot easier. It was a lot easier to do. It was a lot easier to do back then because uh, the only fans they'd listen to were the ones who could be bothered to write a postcard. Well, there was an advert, wasn't there? It was just like East DW send us a postcard with what you want to see. Yeah, <laughs> and I suppose the fact that there's only two hundred and thirty of them at this show, it's probably a bit easier for them to whoa, listen whoa, to. Whoa, them, whoa, 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 whoa! Two hundred and eighty. There were, there were 500 fans at that show. It makes it really easy to listen to. In, re- in wrestling numbers, there were 6,000 people in that auditorium. What, what do you reckon Jim Cornette would have said what the gate was, you know, because here they got... Oh, I, mean, I reckon they got, they got at least upwards of $5. Oh, 
<laughs> I, I reckon there's different tax rules in South Carolina. I reckon they've undercounted it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you're just about listening to the fans and, and giving them what they want to see. Next up, Smoky Mountain has their, their one true babyface, their major player, although they didn't know it. They had Barry Horowitz uh, versus, versus some, some dick called Brian Lee. Um, who, as we said before, was uh, was the fake Undertaker in, in Chains from uh, from DOA. I didn't know he had a stint in TNA as well. Oh, we didn't know he was in TNA. In the early yeah. 2000s. Yeah, he was going up against Raven, uh, Raven and, and his goons when CM Punk was with him. What was his... Who was he? Uh, he was Brian Lee. Oh, he was Brian Lee. Wow. In his yeah. old gimmick. Yeah. Amazing. I don't think he it, still had them. I don't think he had the mullet by that point. Didn't miraculously grow back. And speaking of mullets, both Barry Horowitz and Brian Lee sporting a couple of fantastic ones. Barry going for, I suppose it was close to a Kentucky waterfall, and Brian lovely straightened down the back, and but there was one hell of a party going on at the, you know, I've said that the wrong oh, way around. Oh. <laughs> all, all they needed to do, all they needed to do, to make this match a seven-star classic, and to really get the emotion into it, was to make it a hair versus hair match. Oh, thing is, we do that a lot with this promotion. Now, one thing I did want to yeah. talk about, right? Yeah. So this is first of February '92. Was this the earliest pat on the back that we've ever seen Barry Horowitz do? <sighs> Can we say Ooh. he's played himself earlier than now? I'm I'm going to put that line in the sand. Well, we, I think we, we have, need uh, we need we need pig's bladders to answer that. And we have debated going and watching Barry Howitz matches, and there's definitely one on the WWE Network, like his first match in WWF from like 1986 or something. So was he in there? That I didn't know that. Yeah, fair enough. What did we make of this match? Opening comments, uh, I would say, from commentary. Was uh, Bob Cow going? Uh, you want to take a look at this boy, in reference to Brian Lee, who looked at least thirty-five. Well, my eyebrow raised again. It's like, well, what other boys do you want? Is this a phrase you throw about willy-nilly, Bob? <laughs> I, I was just um, having horrible Jim Ross flashbacks because Dutch Mantel was uh, just running down everyone's university careers. <laughs> oh god he did that a lot more in the um, I think it was the next match that he has a go at that. He, he had a couple of zingers but you know both of these guys in decent shape uh, a, a couple of impressive leapfrogs some nice arm drags quite a good belly to belly that Barry throws out at some point and the most lazy as fuck clothesline I've ever seen from, from oh that was league. terrible wasn't it did you uh, did you spot the bit where uh, Barry Horowitz proved that he taught a wrestling legend everything they know in this match when he pulled out the Stacey Keebler corner fuck joke <laughs> <laughs> how do you know Stacey Keebler didn't teach him <laughs> well yeah there is that you never know do you although this was 91 I did enjoy as well, uh, after Dutch Mantel stopped channeling JR, he started channeling Harry Enfield with, you don't want to do that. And uh, <laughs> everything that Brian Lee said he'd have done differently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I've, just, I've actually just looked up Brian Lee. Um, 
at this point in 1990, well, it was filmed in 1991, he was 25. Really? Wow. Yeah. So it's that, uh, that whole thing about wrestlers used to age a lot, uh, <laughs> wrestlers and footballers used to age a lot quicker back then. Yeah. Yeah, we we should probably actually think about doing an age check on quite a few of these guys because um, that's something that I didn't do when I was having a look into this episode. I think that might be interesting going forward. I thought this, I mean, it was an improvement on the first match. It was faster paced. Horowitz can clearly take a man to a good match. Brian Lee Mm. can sort of stand there and... Do we stuff? <laughs> I mean, you know, a problem. I was going to say similar. Yeah. yeah. I, I, similar. I, I know jack shit about, you know, in ring work, but just as, you know, as some, you know, just as a fan watching, it felt like Barry carried the match. Because Barry carried the match. <laughs> Barry did yeah. a very good job here, really. I mean, Brian's not the world's best seller. His offense is so, so. I mean, you've also got to appreciate this is actually at the moment who they consider the best they've got or the, the, the guy they can get the most out of. So I think putting them in the ring with an experienced wrestler like Barry was the right call to make. And after a, you know, back and forth, well, you know, uh, a decent little contest, we get introduced to... Uh, the first f- proper finishing move uh, that we see in Smoky Mountain, Brian Lee's patented cancellation. I didn't mind this move. It were all right. Sort of like a poor man's widow's peak. Or... Uh, you know, I'm a sucker for anything with a double underhook or, or a, you know, a gut wrench or a pump handle, anything like that. Just, you know, you add him in the double underhook, sort of pedigree position, gets him up on his shoulder, big backbreaker, you know, from a guy that size. Why not? That's, you show it's a showcase of strength, and it always impresses me. It's like how strong must that guy's trapezius be, because he's literally mm. knocked a man out by dropping him on it by about <laughs> two foot. That's pretty impressive. That's one hard trapezius he's got. I'm telling you, that should have been his uh, should have been his tagline: the hardest trapezius in wrestling. Well, I'm glad Sorry, it was wrestling. the trapezius in wrestling because did you see the way that he pinned him dick first in his head? Basically, oh, sat in his face <laughs> for the pin. All that went through my head was uh, was Athers at Southside shouting "sex pin." <laughs> yeah, that was like pretty forced as well. I mean, dirty old pin on that one. Poor old Barry. I, I, I'm, God knows what you got paid paid for that, but. I'd slip him a couple of dollars more after that. I was going to say a hot dog and a handshake, but... Well, he already had the hot dog, mate. I mean, you saw the thing. <laughs> it was already slipped his bonus. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it to you in the room. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and that was after. And I like a, uh... Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Holy crap, this was the cheapest-looking backstage segment on the show. And the first couple with the black background, okay, but... Wrong, right? Mr. Personality and Mr. Charisma himself. No, I telling you, telling you why he's in the wheelchair. I don't know, but it says he was born in 1938, so he's had a bit so, of a career, hasn't he? Oh my god, just he a was little bit. Really? Yeah. 
Oh, so 1938, that, that, this was 91, so that'd make him 53. Yeah, point. he was the crusher, holy shit, I didn't realise that. I want to cut him a bit of slack. Well, I mean, obviously he's there, you know, he's sort of telling the sob story at this point in time, and uh, I think Dutch even alludes to it in commentary later, uh, well, about the com, you know, they, they feel sorry for him, and Bob Coddle's a bit sceptical, so, you know, it, it is, mm. it's this... Um, uh, somebody who's been evil in the past, can we trust him now? Poor lowly old yeah. man just wants to pay his medical bills. Just wants to get some re- get some wrestler's money so he can pay his medical bills. It certainly is nice to be here on Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I'd just like to tell everyone, you wonder why I'm sitting here in, the, in this wheelchair the way I am. My wrestling career for years, all of those men beating on me took a toll on me. Now I'm needing a hip implant and a knee implant, and I'm down here scouting, looking over all of these top wrestlers they have in this Smoky Mountain wrestling area. I'm going to try to find some of the top wrestlers that I can maybe get in there and get me a contract with to where I can go out and make me some money and have this surgery that I'm needing. I'd like to just tell all of the wrestlers in this area, I'm one of the world's most famous, well-known wrestlers, and I'd like for all of them to get in there and show me what they've got and I'm going to be looking at them, and one of these days here, I'm going to try to get someone up, get their name on a contract, and if I can get them on a contract with Ron Wright, I'll be able to have this surgery and take these men to the top in this Smoky Mountain wrestling empire. Everybody remember that, because that's what I'm here for. I would hate to play a hate to game. Let me tell you something, Cole. You better book it better. And that noise right there means it's time for Steve-O to book her it better. Oh, fucking hell. Well, let me tell you something, Josh. I've taken up a new venture. I want to become a manager to make a lot of money. Because we got a lot of the young talent that likes a Kofi Kingston. Or Kofi, as I keep calling him. we got Jack Swagger. Or Swagger. Sin Caro. Sin Caro. Wow. But when I get all that money... I can finally do what I want to do. Let's go traveling around the world, specifically an African safari. Just so I can say to some of the magnificent animals, Wow. Wow. Oh my goodness. Look at the size of that lion. And can you dig that? Sucker what Booker T would spend the money on if he could con some young wrestlers into giving him the money. He already does that with his wrestling school, doesn't he? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, Jesus Christ, he was going absolutely insane for Roxanne <laughs> Perez on NXT uh, 2.0 or whatever it's called these days when she, she won the title because oh, it's from his school, so that's going to uh, increase his ability to charge. I, I did actually watch the um, uh, NXT deadline, you know, for the Iron Survivor matches. I thought you were going to say you didn't actually watch Mandy Rose's uh, expanded media. Is <laughs> 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 that what we're calling it nowadays? No, I watched the, I watched the Iron Survivor matches, and as much as I like Steve-O's impressions and they always get a giggle out of me, I can't actually listen to Booker T. It's difficult. It's just, yeah. I, I, it, it feels like a rib that somebody's in on, but it's not me. I don't get the joke. I don't understand what they're trying to do. He has the odd bit of insight, but it's lost amongst garbled bollocks. I prefer Stevie Ray. He did some really good stuff on Thunder. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'd be up for bringing Mine Stevie Ray back to the commentary. <laughs> Stevie Ray. What's Stevie, what's Stevie Ray doing good stuff or doing good stuff on Thunder? Uh, well, and any and all things with Stevie Ray in him. But I think Booker T, he, 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 I, I think it's too many chair shots to the ads, lads. He, he, he's essentially become a parody of himself, hasn't he? And I think that probably happened in the early 2000s. Well, at least the parody of the parody is still funny, so we, we, we like Steve O's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this run right promo, I can see what they're trying to do, and it's, it's kind of two consecutive promo segments now, I forgot to say it before, where they are dropping in sort of little bits of, I suppose you can call it foreshadowing for later in the show. Yeah. you know, they mentioned the fact, uh, Bullet Bob mentioned the fines, Ron Wright's, you know, talking about, you know, wanting to scout people and, and you know, basically become become a manager within Smoky Mountain. So, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, they've got to know, set it, the, the hairs racing, haven't they, really? So it's a yeah. case of Dutch Mantel doesn't like the look of this Brian Lee guy, Robert mm. Gibson's, Knocking about, or we remember him, Brian Lee. Just like, he's actually look at him. Well, look at all these moves that he's done. Let's shine a spotlight on that. And um, it's again, it's yeah. it's still on this level of, of not breaking any new ground, but not doing anything badly. It was yeah. you know, it's all it's all quite middle of the road, which isn't well. At least it's not bad. I'll put it that way. <laughs> We've seen someone's a shit. Yeah. It's a shocking indictment on the state of the American healthcare system that they, they can tell a storyline about a man who's given his career to wrestling, who's got horrific injuries, and is having to go out and work to afford to have the operation to make him better. Potentially, he could be the heel in this situation. I mean, America. <laughs> the thing is, this yeah. is it's a tale of oldest time itself, really. I mean, how many other people could be playing that Ron Wright role, except this is his gimmick, whereas, you know, Ted Billington lived it out, didn't he? Yeah. Whereas, after that promo, we, we get on to match number three. And, well, there's no two ways of putting this around. It, 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 we only see him wrestling in this, but the charisma vacuum that Tim Horner is gets introduced before you get into tim horner joe carzana's in the ring and the the first notable thing about joe carzana is if you look him up on imdb he has one credit and he was the key grip on a porno film (laughs) (laughs) i've had a few of them so So, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that we got a lot of music on this show and they're running short of time. So they actually cut Joe Carzana's theme and just filmed it with uh, an entrance already in the ring. Oh, I didn't think he had a theme full stop. So I, I thought Joe Carzana was uh, just happy to be there. So I've sent you lads the original introduction and theme in the Skype chat if you want to have a listen. From Knoxville, Tennessee, Golden Boy, Joe Kazanda. Joe Kazanda. Joe Kazanda. Joe Kazanda. Joe Kazanda. Straight out of the shop, Mr. Shake and Bake. Joe. 45, wrestling, cause it feels alive. Great memories and good, good 
said no to corporate America. Give it up for your favorite character. Kazanna! Remember when it said been done? Globe tried to front here to England. The money's back in the shot. He's gonna go to Knoxville, Tennessee. Get on his bad side. Hit you with the flying apple and you find yourself in beat. Said shimmy, shimmy, cocoa puff. Joe! Gonna wreck some stuff. Better bring it. He'll sling it. Everybody in the ring just sing it. Say Kazanna! Joe Kazanna! Better bring it or you're a goner. He's the king of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Joe Kazanna! Joe Kazanna! Can't lose Nick Abana. He's smooth as a banana. Everybody knows what I mean, cause it's good times, great memories. You need to start working over Christmas, Rob. <laughs> Are you honestly telling me that was the mu- that was his music? That that was his music. Uh, you know, he's the king of Smoky Mountain wrestling. I uh, I can't think of a theme music that was more ill-fitting for a wrestler. <laughs> wow. I don't know, because the next up, we had White Lightning, Tim Horner, and he had, which I, I actually think is a really good song, and I've been playing it pretty much non-stop since I watched this episode, um, The Thunder Rolls by Garth Brooks. But that film's about being in the middle of nowhere and there's no one around, and it's about a guy who's cheating on his wife. So yeah, it's the best. about right, though, doesn't it? <laughs> Tim Horner deserves no one around him to be seen by no one. Do you know what, though? You're saying about Tim Horner. I looked into this guy. I couldn't find anything on, Joe, on Boom Boom Joe Kazana. Horner's actually done quite a lot by this point. Yeah. He's, like, just in the in the last... in. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going on from it. Going into this, he'd been over to... Um, he'd been over to New Japan, and he did tours of New Japan throughout his career. When you just like list off who he shared the ring with, like throughout his career, he had WCW TV title opportunities versus Arn Anderson and later on DDP. He tagged with Scott Armstrong against Harlem Heat later on. Admittedly, this was all on Worldwide. He's wrestled Flair a few a couple of times. When he on his tours in Japan, he, he shared the ring with the likes like Ricky Choshu, Hashimoto, Hiroshi Hasi, Keiji Muto, Manabu Nakanishi, Tatsumi Fujinami, Satoshi Kojima, Masa Saito, and he wasn't just jogging out. He even actually tagged with later on with Scott Norton and Hiro Saito, and beat Hiroshi Hasi, Hiroshi Hasi, Ricky Choshu, and Satoshi Kojima, and he was a six-time NWA USA Junior Heavyweight Champion. And after all those achievements, Bob Coddle calls <laughs> Light Lightning Tim Lightning. <laughs> God bless Bob. I mean, White Lightning couldn't be any more apropos for Tim Horner because he is fucking him, cheap and nasty. I, uh, it makes him sound like a moonshiner or a member of the clan or both. There was a uh, snooker player uh, called Michael White who they nicknamed White Lightning, which was quite upsetting because he had a couple of years out of sport with alcoholism. So I'm always a bit dubious oh, when White Lightning gets heaps on a wrestler. There's a darts player called uh, Ian White and his nickname's Ian Diamond White. And I'm pretty sure there's a side called Diamond White as well. Oh, there is. I've had it. I mean, I come from Manchester, mate. If, uh, there's not a, a brand of knockoff cider that, as a youth, you've not drunk through from Frosty Jack to Zeppelin. There is some 
filth, my friend. And I, oh. I honestly, Tim Horner is a pile of shy. And the fact that he dresses like a, a, a fruit salad sweet in terms of his orange and yellow trunks, I can't say I was a big fan. I'd love it if they had that on the poster okay. to advertise the show. Tim Horner is a pile of shite. <laughs> Come see him. <laughs> It'd be like done as a barry fruit salad, but just next to a steaming turd. Um, I, yeah. When the, go on. No, no, I was going to move on to Joe Kazana, but if you had my girlfriend, I'm quite enjoying you insulting. Uh, insulting. <laughs> no, I haven't. So, Joe Kazana, big, yeah, big jacket, Kazana, big trunks. The Golden Boy. The Golden It made me wonder, is, is that where current NWA got the nickname for Jordan Clearwater? Were they just ripping off Joe Kazana in some weird homage? I thought, do you know what? It was some sort of a Rocky reference. I don't know why. What? I don't recall anything Golden, Golden Boy. Boy I was thinking Golden Gloves. Uh, I, I, I made some, my head made some weird connection with boxing with Joe Kazana. But but whether yeah, my head made think... that connection, Joe Kazana certainly hasn't done too much boxing in his life. A good set of muffin tops going over the top of those trunks. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't criticise any of that. One thing I will say about this match, it was it was surprisingly fast, and I actually quite enjoyed this one. <laughs> but I think it's just because I was surprised that it just wasn't utter crap. The thing is, as much as... Having gone a little bit further down the Smoky Mountain, I don't know, the lane of Smoky Mountain than you guys have, I've seen a lot more of Tim Horner and the dude is a personality vacuum that admittedly doesn't quite come through in this in this first introduction to him, which isn't too bad. However, you wait until they give this boy the stick and you're about to see a complete 180 in... Uh, <laughs> in your view of him because he doesn't live up to this moniker of white lightning so I think because I know what's coming I'm a little bit apprehensive about all things to do with Tim Harner he's more like a, he's more like an eggy rumble <laughs> and then some what I did like is did you hear the line that Dutch Mantel came out with um, this is where he starts to put himself over and he's talking about using sort of submissions and chokes to wear an opponent down because, you know, if you're short of breath, then you're going to be easier to pin when someone's on top of you. And then oh, he goes on yeah. to uh, tell everyone that he's got a world record for holding his breath underwater, which because he's not an average man. Now, I didn't know that about Dutch until listening to this. So, uh, you know, you learn yeah, something you new every day, don't you? He said he swam once swam underwater for 10 minutes. Hashtag Dutch facts. <laughs> Matt Hardy was taking note of that for his uh, version 1.0 version. Yeah. One thing I did like about this is because uh, Kazana was he was really good at like the I want to say the more sort of subtle cheating. You know when he like pulled the hair to drag um, uh, to drag Horner to the mat and, and stuff like that. I always like the those sort of little touches. Mm. Um, Little bit, well, obviously, because watching Smoky Mountain, a little bit old school and all of that. And um, so I thought, I thought Kazana did a pretty good job. Do you know what I sort of like? It, and this is a, a good example of it, certainly in this match. Is like one thing that goes unsaid throughout the entire show is actually the refereeing. 
So mm. the re- you know, referees, you know, whatever, you get into the meta of wrestling, you understand what part they play, you understand that they keep the time in, you understand that they can relay messages from the back, all that sort of stuff that they do. But the other thing mm. is like good referees will be in the right position when the heel starts to cheat. And yeah. a lot of the stuff here was shot well. So when, you know, Kazana wants to pull on the hair or whatever, the referees deliberately or got himself into a position where we can't see that sort of stuff. So the credibility that they're at least trying to uh, portray actually is backed up by the little nuances of that. And that sort of ripples through the show. And I sort of appreciate that sort of little attention to detail because while Smoky Mountain has lots of flaws, they do do some of the little close-up stuff right. And that sits quite well with me. I thought referees were supposed to dance around and look like they're trying to land an aeroplane and get as much attention on themselves as possible. Uh, But that's the thing, isn't it? That's wrestling. Uh, if you're watching <laughs> wrestling, like we've just done, then uh, that's where no. the starts to come in. No, it's, it's Strawberry Edwards and Bryce Remsburg. No, I completely agree with you. I think they did a good <laughs> job of wrestling. They did a good job of refereeing on this show, which uh, modern yeah. referees um, could learn from. Well, yeah, it's yeah, interesting the, how that sort of stuff starts to stand out a little bit. It goes, oh, yeah, this is when it looks a bit more natural. Interesting. It, it, reminded, me, it reminded me more of, of world of sport than the modern day wrestling, which is no bad thing. No, it's well, not. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned that about about Leon Harris, didn't we? About you know, sort of working yeah. the headlock and holding mm. his back to the ref so he could get a punch in while the referee mm. couldn't see him. Yeah, yeah, love anything like that. But um, as I said, this match was it was surprisingly fast, particularly in the start. Mm. You know, where the um, well, I think one point Honda just stops dead, gets a side lock hit, t- hit the side headlock takeover. Um, Kazana works up he, and they're just you know going pillar to post and yeah. there was a bit where Horner jumped up to the second rope and he's jumping over the charge hitting an arm drag drop kick arm drag and like settling settling it down with an arm bar it was I, just, yeah. I, I love stuff like that and mostly because it, it ever so loosely reminds me of of, of Bret Hart but like yeah. I said that's, that's, I stress ever so loosely but the thing is it, it, it's decent you can't particularly see through it it doesn't look like they're cooperating too much. And there's a, there is that layer of sort of realism in it. So the other thing as well with these squash matches, because, I mean, they're all short matches, aren't they? I mean, we're talking about yeah. th- what three to six minutes. I didn't time any of them, but it sort of felt like yeah. that was the sort of time. Yeah, And, you know, Kazana, well, he stood in the ring before the match is going you know, you, you know the outcome. We know the drill, but actually, he gets a couple of bits and spots in. They make it seem reasonably competitive, while at the same time, mm. Tim Horner gets to quote and unquote at least look like a star, and then finishes off with the roll up and what they refer to as the natural bridge, which for me was one of the highlights of the show. And I hate to give Tim Horner too many credits because, as you can tell. Not a whopper fan, but yeah, pretty good. Uh, pretty good pin. If you'd never seen a perfect plex, and someone said there's this lad and he has this pinning combination, you'd be fairly impressed with it, wouldn't you? So, because uh, he starts it out with an O'Connor roll, doesn't he? He does, yeah, and then sort of bridges up. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure I've seen anyone else do that from an O'Connor roll. I th- I've seen a, I've seen a similar 
end result, you know, whether like where he's he's got you know he's got his legs pinned and he's sort of bridging back bridging back over him. I've seen Zack Sabre Junior. end up like that before, but I don't think mm. ever from that, like you say, from the O'Connor role. Yeah, yeah. I've just not seen the two of them together. You know, <clears> to get from A to B sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I was I was pleasantly surprised by this match. There was a lot more quality to it from both guys, and I was expecting purely because my expectations were well, I had none. I didn't know anything about either guy. Um, obviously, I'd already looked up Horner's reputation, but even then, you know, I, I think you can't really judge anybody until you've seen him, you know, seen him wrestle. Which but is why I'm going to say you can't judge anybody until you've seen him cut a promo. So, you know, you need to be fair, you, you haven't seen Kazana's grip work. <laughs> <laughs> I was too busy with my own when I watched that film. What, what, what oh, was the God. film called? Oh, just now I'll have to uh, Google it. I didn't write that down to one side. Splicey, splicey. For research for uh, purposes. Oh, <laughs> Happy Days. <laughs> was it a parody film? It, well, I presume it was. It was an artful, hilarious and sexy salute to Bobby Sox, Bebop, for falses and everything that makes the 50s worth remembering. Uh, humorous dialogue, fast-paced action, voluptuous girls, dominators, uh, couples make it at the hop in the um, basement after school on the billiard table and behind each other's backs. So if you'd like to join us on Patreon, our Patreon viewers will do uh, what's <laughs> one the that and, uh, you know, see what you think. Alongside Mandy Rose's pictures and <laughs> other sorted atrocities. But um, so after that match, a good pin, decent enough match. And then we start. Yeah. It wants to, they start to ramp it up again now as we go to, is it promo number four, three or four? I think um, so. Does that mean we're back at satellite base, Rob? No, we didn't go to satellite base in between. Well, I'm going to drink it. Anyway. You drink anyway, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Bob Cornell introducing the Louisville slugger, Jim Cornette. Oh, man. And uh, don't get me wrong, I like uh, Jim Cornette promos are great, but I'd forgotten just how mild a minute he was at this point. Oh, I mean, that guy shoots from the hip. And if he ever decided to write hip-hop, he would be able to keep up with Buster Rhymes, this lad. He, he gets over a million and one points in 10 seconds. But... The crazy thing is, is Cornette's got, you know, he's got his southern twang. He's got a bit of a drawl on him. But you can understand every word that he said. He enunciate. He somehow manages to do that and enunciate at the same time. Doesn't slur like me. And you can understand everything that he says. You know, he comes in. He, he lets you know that modern wrestling's a joke that he made his reputation with the Midnight Express, who they were, what they were all about, and that Smoky Mountain isn't a cartoon. This is real wrestling, you know. Real this what? Isn't, oh, oh, this is real wrestling. So God, fell <laughs> into my own goddamn trap. Uh, yeah. anyway. <laughs> and, uh, you know, does a really good job of it. If you've not seen anything else on this show, and you were flicking over and were like, what's this presentation about? We're at the half-hour mark. Oh, who's this guy? You'd immediately... You get interested. He takes himself seriously. You take him seriously as a result, or at least that's the meant to be the effect. And 
he's fucking amazing. Ironically, Jim Cornette would have been an excellent character on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling if we'd seen him. You know, <laughs> Racing JYD in the junk wagon. Yeah. Yeah, he comes out with some. He comes out with some great lines in him when he's saying it's not about if you can wrestle anymore. It's whether you want to wear a costume. It's not whether you can fight. It's whether you can sell a dime in Toys R Us. Not about whether you've got guts. It's about how juiced up on steroids you are. You know, so that's that's a real sort of sort of hard line to take and a real big hit piece, which makes his inevitable his sort of upcoming partnership with the WWF when Smoky Mountains in a bit of trouble makes it all the more. Um, all the more interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's engaging stuff. And the thing is, that was one of the highlights of the episode. I'm pretty sure it was just a case of put the stop clock on and he had, what, that was 30 seconds? You know, just a a smash grab of Cornet doing what Cornet does and giving you a little taste of what's to come because he's up to something. Well, do you know what? In the I'm selling you an episode one of a product um want you to be invested to see more of this and by the way a little bit more of me and my antics and i'm going to do all of that in a 30 second uh you know promo well all right fair play great great stuff uh really they, they pack they pack a lot into like the what how long was the episode 45 minutes something like that yeah um there's a lot in there you know and this is we're not even, yeah, we've already had three matches, three promos in 20 minutes. Nothing's actually felt too rushed. And they've established people, you know, I think if you're looking at episodic wrestling done in an hour, yeah, all right, you know, this isn't 20-minute matches with a million and one false finishes and ridiculous high spots. It, it is sort of doing what they said on the tin, just making the best of what they've got, you know, working for me so far. What were you thinking up until this point? I thought it was a nice mix of, you know, the, the promos and, and the wrestling. Uh, and one of the things that really grinds my gears, um, unless, you know, unless you're going to have sort of the, the in-ring storytelling of World of Sport or whatever, you know, um, if you're just having like the AEW Spot Fest and, oh, we're starting out hot, we're in the ring, no entrances, straight to the wrestling, and we're going to get as much wrestling on this show for the sake of having wrestling on the show. I, I did like that that was interspersed with the promos that we're hearing from the authority figure, that we've got a rule set. It was a better paced show than uh, than some that we see. Yeah. Yeah, everything's getting established quite nicely up until this point. Yeah, it was good. One of my main points about at the end was going to be about the pacing, because there's a, the cram a lot into the show, but as you say, everything just seems to flow really well. I know I've you know we've had a bit about um, Bob Armstrong, but you know about him rambling and stuff. But even that didn't go on too long. None of the matches have overstayed the welcome. The promos have overstayed the welcome. It's yeah, it's been yeah. quality so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's sort of in and out, and it's like a a flasher on a, on on a bus or something. You know, you 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 have a little look. They show you a little bit. You you see just enough, and then you get off and run on to the next thing. So yeah, it was all right. It didn't overstay its welcome. Joe Carzano doesn't even have time to whip out his boom mic, does he, before the flashes off the bus? <laughs> no, but plenty more of Joe Carzano as, uh, as Smokey Marlowe starts to develop. One thing that you will see as we go through episodes is that 
that their cast of jobbers are not, well, not that Joe might not pick up the odd win, hit and, uh, win here or there, he doesn't, but their cast of jobbers are consistent and they're all all right in the ring. But saying that, while it's all been credible so far, for some reason, the next match that they put on is a bloke called Paul Miller, who with his crappy jacket essentially says, I'm happy to be there, versus the Black Scorpion. This Black Scorpion, was we've seen before on this show, was one of the Super Destroyers, former ECW Tag Champions, that we saw on the first episode of ECW with Lee. We, we did indeed, yeah. So we've got a, a repeat offender. But if you hadn't known that, you could have written to Smoky Mountain Wrestling at P.O. Box 1279, Morristown, Tennessee, 37816-1279. So get your questions in, answers on a postcard. Oh, that's... Well, Ric Flair was one that... Well, the thing is, you go through the list of Black Scorpions, there's been quite a lot. Whereas, are we sure we know who was playing this particular Black Scorpion? Super Destroyer. Was it? Yeah. yeah, it was. But he did. He very much put me in mind of a. Uh, he said about getting things off Wish before. This was uh, Mil Muertes from Lucha Underground off Wish. Oh, th- th- I mean, he had the worst theme music. I mean, I like trash theme music. You know, I can listen to a Jesse and Festus Biscuits and Gravy. <laughs> I like the Repo Man's music. Fuck me, this was absolutely abhorrent, wasn't it? That was... Can you name me a worse wrestler theme music? It went from, like, electronic sort of rock music to... Game show. Uh, yeah, that, I, I've written exactly that, a bit game show. It was proper bizarre. Sorry, Rob, did I cut you off there? No, it, it, it was a pretty awful theme. I think this was Casio keyboard uh, theme number two that, was, uh, that they were playing. But yeah. uh, this was where this was where this was where the money ran out. But they, they were trying to big it up because Bob Coddles, Bob Coddles, there going. Um, the Scorpion's been on the lips of all wrestling fans for about a year, and Dutch Mantel saying no one knows who it is. And it's right, really, that you know the surprise was revealed at Halloween Havoc ninety. You know, we're like fourteen months after <laughs> this story's been concluded. <laughs> I need to say something, right? The Black Scorpion. I don't. There's no way it was a super destroyer because it says, well, it says here that it was Jeff Farmer. Now, and I'm looking on Wikipedia now. Wikipedia could be wrong, but if it is, do you guys know, and I do, who Jeff Farmer is? That's fake sting. sting. Jumping yeah. Jeff Farmer, the guy that's did one of the worst wrestling promos of all time. It's probably top five bot promos. So Cage Match has it a Super Destroyer. Wikipedia yeah, out, nineteen ninety one, Black Scorpion, Jeff Farmer. IMDb mm. doesn't have anything by the look of it. Wrestling data is then. Oh, is this a tie break? It might not be on there because it might not count that as TV. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got it down as, as Black Scorpion was. Um, was Super Destroyer number two and was a guy called uh, Doug Stahl, who was actually right. was trained by Affa. Really? Yeah. Well, the thing is, there were that many Black Scorpions. Yeah, there was. It's diff- it, uh, 
may, maybe for Smoky Mountain it 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 was. It's not a hill that I'm going to uh, to die on. So happy to um, happy to move on. I think it's just any excuse just to put that Jeff Farmer uh, promo in the chat. <laughs> I've just I've just looked up. Uh, I've, I've just googled Black Scorpion wrestler Smoky Mountain, and it's brought me up an advert for Famous Grouse Smoky Black. Nice drink. Uh, all right, I'm on, I'm on to my parking stout now. Nice. So okay, right. So whoever was under the mask, it remains a mystery. Uh, no, the Jeff Farmer made his debut in 1993. Wikipedia is a lie. It didn't look like Jeff Farmer in fairness, but... It was too wide to be uh, Jeff Farmer, if anything. Well, he's also was... too short but and, and yeah. too more muscular now. I look at the picture, but <laughs> I did fancy a Google of it because I didn't think it was a Super Destroyer. But hey, hey, it was what it was. Yeah, well, and what I like about this... <laughs> Yeah. So you, you guys have probably done this before. Black Scorpion, then. Hailing from Parts Unknown. Who's your favourite wrestler from Parts Unknown? Kane. Who? Kane. Michael Caden. <laughs> no, we know where he's from. Well, Kane comes from Bearer's Parlour, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, dear. Kane from Bearer's Nutsack. There you go. So we know where he hails from. Yeah, but does anybody know? Where, with, does, uh, but does anybody? But does anybody know that Paul Bearer's dick's actually there? Oh yes. <laughs> I don't know. I would probably say Abyss. There's been loads of them, though, hasn't there? Oh, huge. This is a good one. I think. Uh, Brutus Beefcake was parts unknown, wasn't it? Was that well, as uh, Zodiac? It was, uh, I, I think for me, Papa Shango is probably uh, my favourite parts unknown. Warrior was parts unknown, uh, you know. So was Jack Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, everyone's got to have a favourite. Apparently, for a, that's while, so, the, uh, for a while, so was Jimmy Jacobs. Really? I've always liked the places where it's not necessarily parts unknown but it's like somewhere a bit random. So for me, like Delirious comes from the edge of sanity. I thought, oh, that's a great place to come from, the edge of sanity. And I think Black Rain came from the darkest like corner of his mind. So I sort of quite like it where they seem to come from some lucid psychological place. Remember we were talking the other night, Matt, and you mentioned um, Shacks. Shacks. Was it you or, or Sam that mentioned Shaq in, in the in the chat when we were talking the other night? I think that was Sam, not me, but yeah. Yeah. Well she was at, she was billed as being from the darkest corner of her own mind. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that they're always good little flourishes, I think, where like parts unknown is mysterious, but actually but I, I think Damien Demenso came from like the outer reach of sanity or something. That's where he was billed as being from. I think there should be more of that in wrestling. Just, just going to say, Terry Funk's from the Double Cross Ranch, isn't it? Double Cross Ranch. <laughs> I was just thinking about uh, Cactus Jack being billed from uh, Truth of Consequences, New Mexico. But yeah, I think the the part uh, that's almost a bit of a lost art these days in wrestling, isn't it? It's the case of those are those little things that fans remember and actually made the character a little bit more unique than, you mm. know, 
120 kilos if he's dripping wet from Minnesota random guy. It's like, well, so when you've got just say you're from somewhere interesting, me. Oh, when you've got Justin Roberts just screaming North Carolina for Kenny Omega. <laughs> but he, he wouldn't... Do, North Carolina. Yeah, he's a poor referee. But this... Um, back to the match, this uh, Paul Miller versus Black Scorpion. I managed to sum this match up in 136 words. And all I actually remember from it is a, is a half-decent gut wrench suplex. No, Miller jumps onto the scorpion in the corner and the scorpion catches him and Tank Abbott yeet styles him across the ring. Oh, he does. He hits the big bill, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and there was a... he, he did the Rikishi bump at one point to uh, a bit of a clothesline. I thought Paul Miller could actually... Um, I thought he was a jobber <laughs> going into this match, but I thought he could uh, throw himself about a little bit. Yeah, yeah he could, to be fair. But um, did you notice that when the Black Scorpion would hit a move, he would mug off to the crowd? But because a he's not been established at all within the promotion, the crowd just went absolutely silent for basically everything that he did, and he tried it about three times. And every yeah. single day, it was deathly silence. I think the high part of this entire match for me was Dutch Mantel being excellent again on commentary. Uh, I think Bob says that uh, Paul Miller's from Columbus, Georgia. And then Dutch chimes in. He goes, oh, yeah, the land of high water and low brains. <laughs> there, was a, there was a great call as well. I think it, it might have been Dutch Mantel again when Black Scorpion hits the big lariat and you just get, and he almost decapitated Paul Miller. I think that was the one where um, he, gets caught on the, he gets caught on the monkey flip, does Miller. He gets an atomic drop, then eats the lariat. So it was a great sequence topped off by that call. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. This was what it was. It was also a lot better when it was over. <laughs> but I'll give it credit for one other thing, and that was for a genuine surprise finish. Mm. In the Black Scorpions on top, is it like two scoop slams? And on the third, uh, Miller snatches a small package. That sounded um, wrong. I legitimately had forgotten that this had happened because number one, <laughs> Paul Miller's never seen again. <laughs> really? In Smoky Mountain, never. And neither is the Black Scorpion. So, <laughs> so the fact that in this one match they do essentially what it looks to me like the one, two, three kid upset win over big, massive star, quote unquote. And they do absolutely nothing with it. So much so, they disappear. It's almost like I'd watched Tony Khan booking. And, <laughs> you know, maybe he was getting some maybe he was getting some hints of his virtual fed at this point, having watched this particular match. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's disappointing that they never went anywhere with that because at the very least, yes, it wasn't the best match, but it's another match where it's, it's a surprise roll-up and, you know, there could have been a little story in, in Miller... You know, keep, you know, like you say, like the one, two, three kid raise a Ramon thing. They could have done that with this. Well, if um, we do any more of these, we'll we'll have to do a Miller time watch and see if he pops up again. But um, he doesn't. <laughs> start your stop clock, boys. It ain't happening. But yeah, I mean, so I mean, it was what it was. It was probably the most interesting finish. Although, in fairness, 
Robert Gibson, match one, wins with a schoolboy. Match four, Paul Miller wins with an upset small package. And Tim Horder's finishing move is itself is, while a quite good looking one, is a roll up and pin. So in four matches, we've only seen one knockout-esque finishing move, which I thought was quite interesting, really. But um yeah, I, I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily mind that though, because like in the first match, you know, the the roll up it, it came from a, a Kyle mistake. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this one here is a surprise win. The the pin for the pin from uh, from Horner looked really good. It was a unique combination. Yes, you can. It can be argued that the same, but they all felt quite distinct to me, and I didn't. It didn't necessarily yeah. t- trigger in my mind or twig in my mind that they were all similar because it was all very different circumstances to just to my thinking anyway to be perfectly honest it's i think it's through re- i think it's probably replaying it back with you guys i haven't paid it too much attention so i'm sort of reading through notes uh, having said that though it's much more interesting going through this than you could go through huge swathes of two to three hours of wwe booking and just what distraction finish after distraction finish after distraction yeah. finish at least in this it's a case of only if you really pay attention you go all right well, there's a few roll-ups but actually they're all different ones and came at different sort of paces in the match which sort of kept it fresh so yeah so after the match you know we go on. You said, promo. You, said you, you said you forgot certain things in that match happened. I forgot this Brian Lee promo happened. I only watched it 24 hours ago. <laughs> well, we're not saying that Brian Lee's forgettable, but. Um, Who? Brian Lee. Prime time, mate. You don't Ryan, Ryan, Prime time, Brian Lee. Right, I thought you said Ryan Lee, who was Don Black's former type of partner. He's more, <laughs> memorable than Brian, he's more memorable than Brian Lee. Um, Sammy Lee, the former <laughs> football manager, is that who we're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Tiger Mask was a football manager. If the football of Sammy Lee was involved in any form of wrestling, that would that yeah. is the only way I'd actually get my mum to watch. She used to absolutely love Sammy Lee. <laughs> well, sadly, sadly, we're stuck with Brian Lee, 280 pounds, six foot eight. Giving these props a lovely mullet, and then the ending on microphone. And oh. holy crap! If anyone wanted to do a generic, I'm going to try my best. I'm pretty good. I'm going to shake down this place. Then um, it's like somebody rolled flavorless angel delight on a barber shop floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They did all the right things about highlighting his positives in his first match. You know, give him an experienced opponent, let him beat him decisively. Like, Brian Lee needed some sort of a mouthpiece because, holy crap, this was poor. And it was only a short... I mean, he only had the mic for about, again, probably about 30 seconds before, thank God, Dutch Mantel interrupts him to try and spice it up a little bit. But... um, we're not ready for prime time. It's just who is ready for prime time? Anyone? Um, so, sorry, you wanted the age check. Uh, Dutch Mantel at this point was 42. I got real shades of the UWA here because he's uh, talking about winning a belt that hasn't even been announced or shown on TV. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of occasions where 
they bring up like where we're going with with the promotion. But you've got your, your man um, Armstrong who comes in, tells you what the rules are, tells you he's the authority figure, and then runs off. He doesn't think to tell you that there's going to be a tournament for, you know, there's going to be a tournament and there's going to be a title belt. For some reason, that that gets put over to Brian Lee. Okay, cheers for that, Brian. And then Dutch does okay. what he can with the remaining 30 seconds. Well, it's Harry Enfield again, isn't it? You don't want to do it like that. <laughs> that would make a fantastic uh, gimmick, wouldn't it, really? Just like a, a Weasley heel that comes out and then tells much larger face opponents how they should do it. Well, presumably they get jobbed out every week. I think I've watched that. Isn't that essentially Andre Chase in uh, NXT 2.0? Oh, I love Chase University. Absolutely. Yeah, educating people on how to educating people on how to wrestle, but never won a match. I've not seen it, although if that's what it is, then I'm slowly becoming more in favour of re-signing to the network. I think yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that's what it was if if you sort of look it up online or anything that I, I didn't watch a massive amount of NXT two point but yeah, no, I, from what I saw it was um Andre Chase, you know, ran his whole Chase University thing and how to be a better wrestler, be you know, win matches, and then he'd just go out and lose every single time. What, why are you talking in the past tense, Dan? This is still happening. <laughs> is it? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Chase U. I'm sort of tempted to get a Chase U shirt. <laughs> well, the thing is, it isn't this episode going out in, like, April. <laughs> yeah, he'll still be doing it then. He's been doing it. He's been doing it a year there so far, so I doubt they'll stop it. <laughs> so, after that abortion of a promo, we finally get... <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad a promo. It was, again, it was just nothing spectacular. Brian Lee didn't it, do anything bad. Although, actually, to be fair, actually, no, I'm going to contradict myself because I've just realised he made Brian Lee made the cardinal sin as a, as a wrestler of being forgettable. That's worse than being awful. That's that's worse than being comically shit. There's a few things that wrestlers shouldn't say, such as, I'm going to do my best. Like, you know, all wrestlers should consider themselves winners. They should all think that on their day, they can do it. And anyone that starts uttering lines like, I'm going to do my best, for me, already sort of signify you as a jobber. Now, Brownlee didn't say that per se, but the fact that his monotone delivery, he looks scared to be on the microphone. It's awful when you see someone that isn't probably ready for the position that they've been put in, that are there left to sort of squirm on air for a little while. You know, Luger used to have that, didn't they, when he was reading off auto cues and all the rest of it. And you sort of felt sorry for him. Hey. Oh, he's glass of milk. Yeah. <laughs> but even his stuff that he did before that, you, you felt a bit sorry for him. It became, you know, he, he was just a figure of fun because big, jacked up, amazing looking guy, but sounded like a complete prat when they gave him a microphone. And Brian Lee looked very much rabbit in the headlights here. It will be interesting to see whether he uh, improves upon that as we go a little further down the run. Moving on to the main event then, Bobby Fulton 
versus Ivan oh, Koloff. Bobby Fulton. What up with his gold bow tie and his gold trimmed oh, um, coat? Coming out, coming out to sharp dressed man by ZZ Top. You stole the words right out of my mouth. Oh my God. And it's the fact that they gave you just enough of sharp dressed man to sort of like, they build the music up. You know, you've got that fantastic sort of bass line going. And then it's just a case of, well, who is going to be this sharp dressed man? Oh, that bloke in a black sparkly waistcoat with a bow tie. <laughs> Interesting. That bloke wearing this stuff, who even, even a stripper, it is a bit too much. <laughs> it's weird how wearing clothes can actually make you look more naked. And, like, you know, <laughs> any, any bloke wearing chaps looks more naked than a bloke just wearing trunks. And Bobby Fulton manages to sort of like pull that off with that particular look. And then for the sort of like younger fans, then we're introduced to Ivan Koloff, who is a bit of a legend. Now he's 60 in this match. Um, I had a bit really? of a Google. He wrestled, so he was 60 in 1992. Bit of trivia for you. When do you think he retired? It was late on. I think he wrestled into his 70s. He retired in 2013, so he was 71. He died Jesus. in 2017, so he was 75 when he died. Now, this guy is a legend. And do you know what? When I first saw him, I wanted to sort of give out because I've not watched a lot of him. I was aware that he was the third WWF champion. He pinned flipping Bruno Sammartino yeah, to get yeah. the title. And the only other person that had held that title before Bruno was Buddy Buddy Rogers. So, you know... That's a bloke with uh, some history on him. But when you look across the ring and you see Bobby Fulton come in and that music, and then you have a look at this old fella whose head looks like, I can only describe it as, you know when you're doing a jacket potato and you take your fork (laughs) and run it through the butter to sort of put it on your spud? His head looks like the butter. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I didn't realise he was that old. This feels like, Rob, when we were watching uh, Superstars with Matt Willis and we found out about uh, Bobo Brazil. Yeah, that was incredible, wasn't it? You thought, oh, this match is a bit slow and plodding. Oh, Jesus, he's well in his 60s sort of thing. Yeah, so actually it's all right. <laughs> yeah, it's, But he's it's thinking back about Koloff, though, and I'm remembering now he was... When he was... Um, in, in that WWF room when he was, you know, when he was around when he was champion in wrestling San Martino, he was £310. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have a bit of muscle wastage when you get to your 60s, see Ric Flair's tits for detail. <laughs> it's just to be expected, isn't it, really? But <laughs> for some reason, for the first time in the night, they managed to squeeze in a cheeky extra promo, as if we've not had enough of them, not that they've not been good. And a little inset of Koloff comes up there, and he utters my other immortal line that no one should ever wrestle. And very early on in his promo, he literally says, I'm very happy to be here. You never tell people that you're just happy to be there. Oh, I'm happy. I'm just making up numbers, guys. I'm at happy least, to at be least it- the thing is, with some of these promos, because like you were saying earlier about you know wrestlers wanting to win or whatever, you, you look at a lot of promos in the modern era, and you do have a lot of I'm happy to be here promos, and you do have a lot of 
what how many stars are we going to give that Dave or banger after mm. banger after banger not caring about winning just caring about putting on a good yeah. match what what boxer cares about having a good match yeah no. exactly that exactly that I mean I'm a I will say about Koloff sorry to cut you off Matt um, with Koloff at least he mitigates it by saying that yes he's he's happy to be there but the Smoky Mountain are lucky to have him and then he brings it round to Fulton been unwise to challenge him and he's going to break Fulton but the content of the promo wasn't the thing that bothered me the most. It was the fact that it was picture in picture, and whenever that happens, I find it so distracting. And I just well, can't, I can't pay attention to that, both at I once. Mean, I think I, my earliest wrestling memory was, I think I started watching wrestling in about 1989, and I've always loved a picture in picture. I think it's proper old school, and I think it's one of those things that you feel a bit comfortable with. It does take away from the match because you're looking at the other dude, but I've always sort of enjoyed that. And I think if you ever remember playing on the uh, Royal Rumble flipping or Saturday night main event arcade game, there would be little insert promos in that while your match was going on. And it has all those sort of positive old school vibes. I think I still appreciate. So I, I did quite like his little pop up and you're right. He was a bit more combative after he said that he was happy to be here. It was just one of those little lines that no one should ever say. But do you know what? Going back to the match. So just before you move on, just on the um, picture-in-picture, I mean, you know, and I do enjoy a a good picture-in-picture, but they fucked the audio right at the start of this one, didn't they? Because the audio comes on well before the picture-in-picture. And if we compare this to other first episodes, like, you know, Glow, which is... You know, six years before this, mm. they smashed it out of the park with all their picture and picture on a really low budget. So that there's mm, no excuses for Jim Cornette here. Oh, we're not, we're not no no free passes for Cornette. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> well, not not when you're comparing him to Glow. Come on, you know. I mean, if you're comparing him to WWE, <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good point. <laughs> but um, I can just picture him with a couple of VHS double-decked machines in his mam's house corner, putting this all together. And pocketing Rick Rubin's money. (laughs) (laughs) This goes in the castle, this goes in the wrestling, this goes back in the castle. This is for the wrestling. What you said about the match, um, we said before about things feeling very well to sport. In -hmm. this match, Koloff did the the hidden punch while, uh, while he had Fulton in the headlock. Koloff's work is still, when you see veterans, and if you think about, uh, you know, watching veterans in mid to late WWF, so maybe Sergeant Slaughter, when he was in featured in the Attitude Era, you know, these were guys that you would watch, they were veterans, and it was all punchy, kicky stuff. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it was that, all rest holds. Flipping... Koloff in this match, he knows how to work a referee. He starts punching him. You see him start pulling his hair away from the referee's back to get the man down. Then, out of nowhere, he's still got the strength. He does a back suplex. He does a very nice-looking neck breaker. You know, he he hits a few moves, and he does my favourite move of the entire match was, I think he hits two moves. He gets Fulton down. He hits the ropes or he goes to do an elbow drop on a prone Fulton. 
Fulton rolls away and he just gives him this disgusted look, walks over to him and then keeps his booting because he clearly wants to stay on the offense. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't do the, he doesn't switch over. And it was just that little look that gave him that goes, nah, I think I'm, I'm not quite done with you, mate. <laughs> I, yeah. I quite like it. I have to say as well, like we mentioned about the Bovara Brazil thing before, given Koloff's age and stuff like that, it gives me a whole new appreciation for this match. And, and we've said all this without referencing that uh, that Ron Wright comes out to ringside, and he's there in his in his chair, supposedly scouting, and they're trying to figure out who he's there to scout and who he's there to, you know, possibly bring under his uh, under his tutelage. Not that you know, not that not that Cole often need it at this point. Well, but, the, the, um, the whole thing about this Ron Wright thing is that you know he's going to help somebody cheat. But we've got these whole rules about not using weapons and stuff. And Koloff's, you know, throwing Fulton into the ring post and hits him with a chair. I have to say, right, uh, going back to little nuances as well, right, about ring post, <laughs> there was one thing done really well outside the ring and one thing that was appalling. And the first yeah. thing, he throws him outside, fair enough, follows him out, puts him into the ring post. Fulton can take a good ring post spot because I tell you what, I thought at first he had actually nutted the ring post. Now he didn't, but he got very close to it. And you watch the modern wrestlers where they'll go forearm, elbow first, and then the head comes crashing in. Bobby Fulton knew how to take that spot. And it is just a little thing, but I appreciated his work. And then you swiftly follow that up with, Koloff then goes to pick up that chair <laughs> and gives him one of the worst fucking chair shots I've ever seen. Well, that, that's why it didn't violate the foreign objects rule because he didn't actually use it. He caressed, <laughs> he caressed Bobby <laughs> Fulton's back with it. That's why it was giving him a nice massage just to make sure he could inflict more damage. Yeah. Uh, Joe Carzano was just running out to get his uh, boom mic. I was doing it. There wasn't a lot more to it, though, was there? You know, it was it was decent no. enough with you know like the, you know a lot of the work in the arm that we saw throughout the show really mm. from from quite a few of the matches. The finish was what it was. It's the first sort of well, it's the first dirty finish we've had, isn't it? With the with Ron Wright handing Kolov something. I think we need to have a bit of a chat about that, right? Well, well, just just before that though, because um, Ron Wright had tried to shake the hand of Bobby Fulton, so oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if his idea was whoever it would shake his hand, he'd slip the. Um, uh, the quality wasn't good enough for me to see if he was trying to pass the brass knucks to Bobby Fulton when he was shaking the hand. But he, ha- he had definitely put his hand out to him first. I think, though, Bobby Fulton's probably a little bit like me. And you know when you go out in town with the lads on the weekend and then there's usually that pissed-up, smelly bloke that wants to shake your hand and say yeah. hello. I, feel I don't mind saying hello, but I'm never that keen on the old cheeky hand bit. So maybe Bobby Fulton was just like, mm, I've not heard of that Rob Wright bloke either, despite his clearly massive legacy in wrestling. What's under that blanket? I'm not too sure. Perhaps, oh, I don't know. I, don't, I probably won't shake your hand, Ron. And I think it might have been something like that. Whereas Koloff's clearly, you know, <laughs> a bit more eager to please. Did, did he think he was going to do a Kevin Nash? <laughs> <laughs> Why, did Ron Wright think he was Commissioner Gordon as well? well possibly, yeah. Well, break something down for me. So, he hands Koloff something, right? And in kayfabe, 
Koloff duffs Fulton and scores the pinfall victory. But if you watch that back, he doesn't wrap anything around his hand. He no. just clenches it. Now, I don't know about you, but does that work in real that, life? That's how you do it in kayfabe. Triple H picks up the sledgehammer, and instead of you know bringing it down on him like a hammer on an anvil, he, he wraps his fist around one end of it and hits them with his fist. Yeah. Because fingers been, are indestructible. I've always been puzzled and like surprised by stuff like that. One of my favourite things I ever saw Goldust have in his repertoire was the back rake. Great move, but Goldust wore gloves. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a loaded object in a closed man's fist would probably break every finger that you had if you hit them hard or to actually fit it into your hand so you can ball it up to make the fist maybe not the heaviest of objects but um, as it turns out bobby's not got the uh, it's got a bit of a glass jaw and went down for the three count much to the chagrin of his brother jackie who came in and then proceeded to beat the snot out of poor Koloff. yeah we've got a jackie fulton attacking a pensioner is that what goes down in the Smoky Mountain area? Because he really put the uh, put the boots to him. Really, I was I, I felt quite bad for you know when um, New Jack beat up Gypsy Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so I felt he's just gone fifteen minutes. This this old fella. It won't fifteen minutes. <laughs> he's just, just gone four and a half minutes. This old fella. I, I wasn't too sure about that. So in fairness, when Vlad came to the ring to protect. His cousin, I thought he was. I thought he was well within his rights to take his liberties back with with Jackie. I don't know about you, well, but that's that's the way I saw it. Well, Bobby Fulton had done the twice Hulk Hogan thing of you know being knocked out with a foreign <laughs> object. So you're obviously going to kick out one microsecond after three. <laughs> you, you have got a point because his restorative abilities were akin to Hawk from the Road Warriors because he, having been knocked out by some sort of a weighted object he does not have to get up quickly when um, his brothers put in a bit of peril um, so uh, yeah interesting there's, there's a weird running theme that runs through Smoky Mountain which is the Fulton's just getting <laughs> battered by people like fairly savagely. This is just the start of it. Yeah, it was. It's one of these where I found myself. I was, I was kind of all right with it, and, and I wasn't having a bad time watching it. But I wasn't like sort of you just really enjoying myself until I started thinking about it. It was good. It was good. Switch your brain off TV. Yeah, the the more I think about this match, the more it annoys me. It's like when I, when I when I watched it, I was quite positive about it, and I'm just I'm thinking, hang well, on, that does not make sense. Well, with Cole off stage, I was tempted to change my match of the night when we get onto it later on, because of you know I really did. But now after all of that, I'm just like, no, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I think I've changed my match away from it with uh, thinking about it. Yeah, it was a, amidst all of that as well. The referee reverses the decision. And awards the win to uh, to Bobby Fulton. I quite like the referee sign language for reversing the, the uh, decision, because 
the bell just the wheels on the bus just rang <laughs> incessantly in that oh, song. I hated that. And I hated it when WCW did it. I hate it here. Back in the day when you had like the Great Fire of London and someone would stand out and just shout fire, that was the person ringing the bell. What did they expect to happen? <laughs> but while all that's going on, the referee does the symbol for the international symbol for wind the bobbin up. And then he's, <laughs> he's reversed his decision. And then at, um, at least there was a symbol for it, though. And one thing that really annoys me about referees these days, waving their arms about and stuff, you know, if you watch a football match, the arm movements mean something. Where, mm. Whereas referees these days seem to have, you know, that they're like, you know, stand near to a wrestler and like clench the fists and pull them back towards each other. And it's like, what are you trying to tell me here? You know, if, if we had a codified set of a referee's arm movements, we'd understand what they were talking about, but they just make it up. Well, you say they make it up. I have it on good authority that uh, Vince McMahon once backstage asked for the referee for the, uh, the the wrestling rule book, and then someone told him that it didn't exist, and then he didn't believe them. There's surely a referee call it a code of conduct whereby, you know, you see like centerfold flags, people waving them, and that's how you direct yeah. ships. <laughs> must have the same thing for referees arm course. We're all familiar with holding up the X. Yeah. I imagine there's more <laughs> than that. Nowadays it's interpretive dance. <laughs> See Aubrey Edwards for <laughs> comments. <laughs> she, she's doing charades. <laughs> so, three syllables sounds like. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want her on my team. <laughs> Yeah, and we go from this match as well, which again was all right. I know we've I know we've sort of ripped it apart a little bit, but when I was watching it, it was it was fine. We go backstage with Bob Cordell, the Fantastics, oh, and Bob Armstrong. Can I just say one thing about Bob Armstrong when he comes in? Now you're like introduced to his sort of Super Saiyan final form because. Bob Armstrong wears those glasses forever, and I can only describe them as the lenses being robbed off the Hubble telescope. How thick, <laughs> how blind is this guy? But see, I was looking at him with the uh, with the sort of the super noodly hair and wondering uh, wondering if he might be related to a certain Mister Omega. I was thinking Luna Vachon. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be less insulting to uh, to Bob Armstrong, to be fair. But it, but he comes out and he, he's talking about giving. He's going to show his authority and he's going to find the call off five hundred dollars. Number one, that's a great value to find people at because it feels a bit more real. I know it's not, but like if he'd said. I'm going to find you 10 grand. Yeah, I get, I get what you mean. It's like, we know that nobody in that arena is making 10 grand off that, off, off of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, except maybe for what Jim Cornette pocket from Rick Rubin, allegedly. But yeah, the $500 fine is, that's like a, a real amount of money that would make an impact for, for a regular family. Absolutely. They could have used that $500 to pay for the licensed music. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Rick Rubin produced all those songs and that's how they got it. Maybe. But the, basically that all sets up, um, the fine comes along and that all sets up uh, the Coloss versus the Armstrongs because uh, we forgot to mention about um, 
I got Ivan Koloff's nephew Vladimir who came out as well. The Koloff versus uh, the Owls problems was you didn't know. <laughs> I meant the fantastic show, I did. Yeah. <laughs> That'd have been brilliant, but no. <laughs> But then it just the, the promo just keeps going. It's the first bit that starts to drag, with uh, with um, Bobby Fulton just just banging on and on and on, and saying about you know Smoky Mountain bringing wrestling back the way the fans like it, and he's been hit before and all of that. He, he doesn't know who that goof is at ringside, despite Ron Wright claiming to be world famous beforehand, and they just want law and order like Bob Armstrong said, and he calls I think he calls the, the Koloffs. Bald-headed commie thieves, or yeah, something like that. We're going to get one um, thing over. Uh, we're going to kick your tail, just like we did against Saddam Hussein. Yeah, I, I had that written down as uh, yeah, they'll fight fire, fire with fire, and then I've got bullshit patriotism uh, invoking the Gulf War. Yeah, but he doesn't just say that though, does he? I'm going to get that Saddam, Saddam Hussein and that other cast of characters. What do you mean, other cast of characters? This is the Gulf War. Who are the other? What do you mean, Dick Dastardly? You don't refer to that as cast of characters. It's not. <laughs> but, uh, but he did. Well, maybe he's seen South Park the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and that, oh, then he contradicts himself because it turns out he does know Ron Wright's name. And says that if uh, if he gets in the Fulton's business again, he'll pick him up out of that wheelchair and kick his booty, which is just so cringe. With it, just swear, just say ass, please. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that that all felt just a little bit out of place. I'm going to kick your booty, and also they're still picking on this poor old guy. So not content with kicking the crap out of a sixty year old man, they then turn to the cripple and want to pop at him as well. They're not that nice, these uh, Fantastics, are they? Sorry, what's fantastic about this? They're not, but but at least they've left it on a hanger of, you know, somewhere to go from here. A lot of modern wrestling just seems to end. There isn't sort of that television hanger, find out what happens next week that you'd get in, you know, sort of episodic television. At least here there was, you know, we've built to something, we're going to see how this plays out going forward. Okay. They went on too long and had a crap promo at the end. But it's kind of, it is a good thing, executed poorly, as opposed to a bad thing. You can, True. Another way you could look at this is, in three hours of TV, how far do WWE get in moving a program along? And then you, 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 you reflect on that. And then you go to this and go, well, actually, in 45 minutes, you set up a Brian Lee versus Dutch Mantel feud. You've set up a tag team belt for the following week with the Koloffs. You've added intrigue with Ron Wright and who he's going to get as his partner. You've got Jim Cornette and he's going to be getting a tag team. And you've added alluded to that there's going to be a, tag, uh, a heavyweight tournament coming up, you know, and even, and even with the other matches, even with the other matches, and I know you said it doesn't happen, but you know, Black Scorpion has unfinished business with Miller. <laughs> but you know, but the thing is, if you watch that first episode, it is there, isn't it? You know, it's left hanging, and, and Kazana versus Horner warrants a rematch. Mm. 
The other thing as well, interestingly, is you've seen essentially three jobbers. Yeah, Barry, Kauzana, mm-hmm. and, well, insert Black Scorpion or Mr. Miller. But the point being is, if you saw them next week in another match and they were put over in that manner, you wouldn't necessarily think they were jobbers. They'd been given enough time that it wasn't skinny bloke waving at the crowd who gets pinned in seconds. They've had a little mm. bit. So when you see them next week, you're sort of thinking to yourself, and actually haven't seen that Black Scorpion match, maybe they could win. Yeah, You know, they've got a couple of moves in them. Maybe I've got this wrong. And so that level of competitiveness that they managed to portray, they've not done a bad job. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're veering into uh, into sort of into, into sort of ratings territory. So before we get to our ratings, uh, we best uh, we best give out some awards. I think. What do you reckon, Rob? Oh well, before that, um, there was only one advert on the show, and that was Jim Cornette giving an advert for Toys R Us. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, smoking out and advertising their own address. Yeah, they they, they were indeed. In terms of shout-outs that we've had for the show, Ben at Witticisms of Ben said in the middle of a Rantomizer's recording, due to his craving for acceptance, he ended up plugging both ours and Fitch's discount code. Oh, thanks, Ben. It, it probably it must sound so great in his voice. Yeah, uh, and we, we have to have Ben on soon. Yes, definitely. I just wanted to talk at me for hours. Yeah, now we'll just sit there and listen. He can just read the phone book to us, it'll be fine. Yeah. Mark from the Project Football podcast was uh, promoting our appearance on Project Football, uh, doing our trip here through time for the World Cup. Yeah, I proper enjoyed doing that. It was uh, it was great to talk to Mark again, and uh, Andy was on there as well. Still, some debate over who had the best team, but I think it was me because uh, I didn't stick any uh, any complete randoms from uh, from the the past of my own club in there. Yeah, uh, Danny Scottish Juggle also was enjoying um, our episode uh, that we did on Game Show NXT. Saying it was, uh, remember, it was an awkward switch from ECW to uh, the NXT format, and that it was great to hear uh, us and uh, Sai and Joshua Goodwin on the show. Uh, it was a three and a half hour show, so your brother Cam said it was quite a marathon uh, in reply to Danny's uh, tweet. But um, it was great to have a guest appearance from uh, your dad, Andy. Yeah, my dad made his uh, made his podcast debut. That was uh, that was the thing I came back from uh, from the toilet to find. Or did or did I invite him on? I can't remember. I was quite pissed by that point. No, I, th- I think he just did a run in. Uh, yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> Steve Earl said the uh, run in was superb. That'll do. I've I've not had a chance to listen to it back yet, and uh, I'll, I'll take everybody's word on that one. Uh, Marty shouted out that episode as well, so thank you very much for that. That's Marty from the Marty and Fitch podcast, uh, which is excellent. Go listen to that. Uh, Andy from the Bam Bam podcast um, said that we had some disturbing berserker takes. Yeah, I can't remember any of that. <laughs> but is it, is it that is it, was my berserker take that the berserker was a bit shit? Oh, well, we're talking about his finisher move being throwing people off the top rope and uh, that being a bit shit. Oh, but yes. He was dumping people to the outside, wasn't yeah. it? Pick them up and then just lob out. To be honest, though, you know, a count-out is a valid win in wrestling, so why not? Well, it'll never win you a championship. Well, it'll never win you a championship, but you can run through the competition with it. I, mean, I suppose you could always go out and roll them back in. If they're, if they're down for a 10 count, you can roll them back in and pin them, can't you? I do like the idea that... Like, I like the idea that you build up 
and you sort of just week by week throw a few people out, get a count out win, then you get yourself to a title match, you throw them out, count out, don't win the title, walk into the Rumble, throw 20 other guy, nine guys out, it's your thing, win the Rumble, go to Mania, count out, win. <laughs> and and all, all the faces come out and hold you up on the shoulders <laughs> and the confetti falls down and yeah. Lex Express comes and collects you. Um, <laughs> James at Yam All Right uh, asked when we were getting some podcasting figures after Conrad Thompson did his own podcasting figures. Uh, you could just repaint a Yokozuna figure for me. Yeah, well, you could probably do the same for me, to be honest. On the last episode, we were asking people for matches that would have been a good first uh, match to have because well, we'd reviewed ITV Wrestling's um, first time slot in 1987 and uh, mm. uh, there were a few people who came in late to the party so uh, Chris Bellis had real Chris Bellis had said Hogan versus Warrior at WrestleMania 6 certainly a spectacle yeah uh, and he'd also um, said from a sheer technical point of view we'd have put on Danielson versus Castagnoli 48 to uh, a minute uh, of headlocks, but obviously that wasn't WWF, so that that wouldn't have been a good, a good showing for them. Sorry about that, Chris. I've, I've never actually seen that match. I'm unaware of it. Well, you can subscribe to Tony Khan's new uh, Honor Club for ten pounds a month. Or I could not. Well, yeah, you know, pay per views on that. You've got to buy them separately, so it doesn't doesn't sound like a great deal. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. No wonder um, they get TV. No. Neil at uh, Neil Ashford um, said Piper versus Brett for the IC title. Was that uh, WrestleMania 8? Yeah, I think it was. Yes, it was, yeah. yeah. yeah that brilliant match. That built, built in about 30 seconds just before it. Great mm. stuff. Yeah, it was a really good promo that those two guys had before that. So they got into that match as well. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah it was. It was a good match. Adam at Opazen asked us for some uh, help in terms of which match was the best match to show his girlfriend that had never watched wrestling before. So I don't know if you two gents have uh, any idea of... Uh, yeah. I, I did, just before we start, I did ask him to clarify, would she be okay seeing someone get kicked by a horse? And he said probably. Yeah. But that's ruled out for Candito, the greatest match of all time. Well, that's my uh, pick, Don. I'd give him WLC to watch. Oh, WLC is a good shout. It is a good shout. That is a lot of fun. I'm trying to think now. I'll probably go with Cactus Jack versus Triple H from Royal Rumble 2000 because it's a it's a really violent spectacle, but with a really decent sort of like emotional story undertone to it. Easing in with midgets. Always easing in with midgets. <laughs> Do you, know that, do you know what I think? The main event from that wrestler show that we watched with Tim Comrie with Captain Orig Williams and Land of Our Fathers playing and all the Welsh flags flying. It was bigger than Hulkamania. I've had another thought, but get as a first foray into wrestling, give her heroes of wrestling to watch. No. <laughs> Full oh, thing. Do you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it here. Leon Harris versus Les Kelly. Yeah, I mean that's oh. the real answer, isn't it? It is. A winner is that program. Love, yeah. world of sport. 
Millwall Chris at Millwall Chris one said that uh, we should uh, that they should have showed Coco Beware versus Boris Zukov from London in 1989, which I believe he was on the front row for. He's not mentioned it. No, no, he keeps that his cards very close to his uh, chest on that one, doesn't he? Boris Zukov, the guy with the biggest head in wrestling. I don't think there's a bigger one. He's got one melon of a house. <laughs> Matt, you actually said uh, Jake Roberts versus Rick Martell from WrestleMania 7. It's we all see now. Let's <laughs> <laughs> take your first answer, unfortunately. It's like uh, a quiz. Classic match. Steve-O at Total Steve-O. And uh, again, this might be a good one to show your girlfriend the first match. John Cena versus uh, Rob Van Dam from One Night Stand just for the crowd alone. Not a bad shout, yeah. Nonsense at uh, the definition said he couldn't just choose one, so we've got a whole list. Uh, although we're going to have to take his first answer, which is Savage versus Steamboat. Fair. Uh, but he also said we all see. That's winning the that's winning the popular vote then. Yeah, uh, Champa Gargano street fight. Brett Austin from WrestleMania 13. It was a good match. Uh, Rock Hogan uh, again for the crowd. HBK Hogan for the sheer amount of overselling of HBK. Roman versus Jay, Helen Nassau. If she's no, that's seen, a good shout. If she's never seen wrestling before, then you need it to be mad. So how about Goldust versus Piper? <laughs> because if you've never seen it, what this car chase is and it all happens outside and he's clearly homophobic what the hell that'd be great well the thing is we offered him a match with a car chase to a farm <laughs> but he didn't want Funk versus <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, or Brett Owen at Wrestlemania 10 class um, can't go wrong I can't go wrong with that. Uh, high Five Tom at um, High Five Tom said Steamboat versus Savage. Yeah, get again. Another shout for that. So, yeah, can't say anything against it. Yeah, and your brother, uh, Cam Griff, at uh, Cam Griff 92, has volunteered Danny to review the episode of Walker, Texas Ranger with Sting in it. Why not? We're going to end up doing it eventually anyway, so. It's on the list, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is. God, what, have we, what have we become? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, due to a delay in uh, recording, we, we've had we've missed a love boat bullet <laughs> this week. <laughs> yeah, we've dodged, a, we've dodged a Sam Rogers love boat bullet. <laughs> Although, I've got to put it in order, because if it went out in order... And this will be a nightmare for me editing it when we finally do record it. It'd come out around Valentine's Day. Oh, God. <laughs> Something for the lady. Good luck. Good luck, that's all I can say, mate. <laughs> Rather you than me. Yeah. Right, Chase, for those, uh, for, for those shout-outs, Rob. Next up, we've got the awards section. So we'll, uh, we'll look to rattle through these. Uh, Matt, what would you give your match of the night? This is a tough one, isn't it? Because... You've got Barry on the show. You've got a fairly sprightly Kozlov on the show. Uh, Koloff on the show. And you've also... <laughs> Boris Kozlov turns up on the show. And then you've obviously got Tim Horner arguably having the best match, but I can't give it to him. So I think I will go... 
I, th- I think I'm going to have to go with with the main event, guys. I'm afraid. After all that, after you ripped it apart, fair enough. And, uh, and not as much as I've ripped Tim Horner apart. So. <laughs> Rob, who's your match of the night? I was going to give it to uh, Fulton Karloff, but uh, the more I've thought about it, the more problems I have with the match. So I am giving it to Boom Boom Joe Kazana uh, versus White Lightning Tim Horner. Well, I'm glad you said that because my next move will make Matt very annoyed because because it exceeded, exceeded so many expectations. I'm giving my match tonight to Kazana versus Horner. <laughs> you had me fooled then. Nothing for, no love for the Scorpio. I considered it, but no, unfortunately. So next up is MVP of the night. Uh, Matt, who was your MVP? Stole the show for me. I mean, he was present throughout the show. Zingers all the way through. He props up Brian Lee for when he needed to. Great Cullen commentator. Would like to hear more of him. P.S. I have, but he's great. (laughs) Fair enough, I can't fault that. Uh, Rob, who's your MVP? Yeah, it's Dutch Mantel. Man- managing to big up the promotion while looking at it with disdain. <laughs> <laughs> well summarised. Well, I'm shocked or I've not given it to Dutch Mantel because while I thought it was the best part of commentary, too much of the commentary just sort of became buzzing in my ears. So I've actually gone with Jim Cornett for his promo. Because he, for all the reasons Matt extolled earlier, you know, he got through so much, so quickly, and so concisely, but you never once felt lost with it. And he did such a good job, like I said, hyping up the promotion, laying the seeds for what was coming. Yeah, I really can't fault that. Next up is moment of the night. We're going to break from uh, break from the usual order. Rob, what was your moment of the night? Well, I just want to have one honourable mention here because I did look at the end of the credits to see if there were any funny names. And Will Self was the videotape engineer, which uh, <laughs> reminded me of the time when I was uh, driving uh, in Leeds late one night and get up to a set of lights, looked uh, looked over, and Will Self was uh, in the car next to me. So, obviously, revved the engine and he revved back and <laughs> had a race at the lights with Will Self. And that's the most pleasant conversation anyone's ever got out of Will Self. Yeah, so so that's my claim to fame, which I'd completely forgotten about till I saw that name coming up and I thought, I've had a race with him. But my moment of the night is uh, Ron Wright cheating. Yeah, fair enough. It was, it was a nice little twist at the end of the main event. Um, I can understand that. Uh, I'm just going to cut in because I've got a feeling Matt might kind of froth at this because he joked about uh, Miller versus Black Scorpion being the match of the night. I've actually given the finish of that match my moment of the night because it was the only one that was a genuine surprise to me when uh, when Miller got that roll-up. Nice. So, yeah, that's my moment of the night. <laughs> Rare occurrence, guest going last. Uh, Matt, what was yours? I think my moment of the night was probably seeing Brian Lee's cancellation for the first time was probably the most athletic move that we saw out there and it was probably the best thing that he did what, in, in general in Smoky Mountain or? yeah I'm pretty sure in Smoky Mountain yeah I could give mullet a night to about half the cast yeah, well <laughs> it, it's funny you should say about mullets because next up uh, we've got no sign of the night obviously because there was nothing there but next becomes the most prestigious award, the René Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night. So, Mr Butler, who gets your René Goulet? Well, Jackie Fulton, good mullet. Brian Lee, Fair good enough. mummy. Yeah. Bobby Fulton, 
good mullet. Joe Kazana, good mullet. Barry Howard's Kentucky Waterfall, that was a beautiful mullet. I think I'm going to go with Big Baz, mullet of the night. Fair enough. Do you know what? You've read my mind. Uh, I'm going to jump in ahead of Rob. I've gone with Barry Horowitz as well. It was sumptuous, was that mullet. So, Rob, does Barry Horowitz get a clean sweep? Yes, but I think it's clean sweep with an asterisk because not only did he have an outstanding mullet that made him look like a poodle, I've learned a new phrase about mulletry of the uh, Kentucky waterfall. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying thank you for that, Matt. It's, it's a brilliant one. Oh, I'm glad Barry got a, uh, got a clean sweep. I know we've made pig's bladders very happy. Well, I, I mean, this might be news to him, but I mean, me and Dan have talked about doing a Barry Howard special with uh, Pig Bladders. Yeah, well, I think that will uh, that'll happen. That will happen at some point. Uh, that almost uh, got my moment of the night, the very first, the earliest memory of the Barry Howard. Pat on the back. <laughs> oh man, he should have done. But anyway, uh, so last thing to do, Matt. Uh, what would you rate this show out of ten? The thing is, you've got to view it under the lens of a one-hour TV taping. It's, I think for me, as, as shows go, give it a solid seven. Fair enough. Uh, Rob? Yeah, pretty much the same sort of ballpark. I've given it a 6.5, and, and part of that's mitigated by, I think I gave an eight for the oldest episode of World of Sport, the first episode of Glow, and the, the debut episode of Lucha Underground which were all incredible. And I, and I think in hindsight, which might be causing me a bit of problems here, I may have rated those three too low, uh, right. which is why I'm, I'm well, you know, that they were, you know, they had better production, that they were better than this. So um, that that's why I'm, I'm sort of capped at that 6.5. But it was enjoyable. It, it, it was, it was well, it was well paced. The wrestling wasn't, wasn't stellar, but that that's not always necessarily a problem so it, it was a, a solid 6.5 to me yeah that's fair enough i'm in a similar ballpark to yourself i this was like a decent 45 or 42 minutes of switching brain off wrestling you, you didn't have to have to think too much it was entertaining enough it didn't break much new ground so i gave it a i gave it a six um i thought there was room for improvement but it did. It was all just slightly above average for me. So, would it surprise you that the community vote on Cage Match gave this show an average rating of five point five nine? Oh, I was so close. I, th- I think one of the problems with Cage Matches, though, they are very match focused, mm. and kind of yeah, if you're just a, looking at the matches. Well, this is Black Scorpion, Barry Horowitz, Ramstein, <laughs> Brian Lee. What, what's wrong with these people? Holy crap! I was just annoyed that uh, Joe Kazana's uh, theme music was taken off. Uh, what what <laughs> score could this have got if Joe Kazana's theme music was actually in there? Oh, it, it, and then imagine <laughs> if it was in the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> I think overall, it delivered on what it tried to set out to do. The pacing was very good. The yeah. interviews were coherent. It moved the storyline along. And as long as you sort of accept that the wrestling is 1992, old-timey stuff, then there was nothing insulting. There was a couple of bigger moves in there. Nothing was botched. Count the botches. Mm. You know, 
what, what, how many botches you get in an episode <laughs> of Dark and Dark Elevation? These all guys the botches, all the botches were on uh, Bob Cardle's commentary. <laughs> I think it was also a serious mistake to use the chair before the foreign object um, in, in the event. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, that chair shot aside, I can forgive that. I don't mean the execution of the chair shot, I mean using the chair, because mm. that, that negates the purpose of Ron Wright being there uh, as the heel that's made Ivan Cole off resort to illegal weapons, because he'd have done that anyway. So well, no, you, I, disagree with, I, I disagree with that because it's a case of after seeing how poor Ivan Koloff was with chair shots, Romney <laughs> nothing else to do and had to interject himself. So, so, but that's Dutch Mantel's gimmick of doing the Harry Enfield. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, like I said, I think we can all agree that it, it was it was. It was a decent opening show. We've, we've definitely seen a lot worse here, um, and it, it's been a real sort of it's been a real fun time and a, a real education getting to uh, to talk about Smoking Mountain with you, Matt. I know you're a big fan, and we'll uh, we'll have to have you back at some point for the uh, for the final episode. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We should definitely do some more of this. There's there's a, this is scratching the surface for what goes on in this show. Um, I think early Bob Holly. Undertaker. Well, you, you, before you even get onto stuff like uh, Paul Orndorff has a massive run, Hector Guerrero. There's some rip bully, Buddy Landell off his bins on cocaine for <laughs> about ten episodes. There's there's a lot that comes along in this program. Well yeah. worth a watch. Anyway, it's been a pleasure, guys. Yeah, as I was just about to get to the uh, the wrapping up, so mate, thank you very much for coming on. And we'll be definitely have you back for some more Smoky Mountain. But if you want to let the listeners know where they can find you. No, you can probably find me at the bottom of a ditch or somewhere in the nether regions of Twitter. <laughs> Is that what the ring announcers announced you as? <laughs> at the bottom of a ditch. Yeah, with about 12 empty cans of John Smith's and a pool cue in my hand. That's, that seems legit. You can find me at Trey Butler on Twitter. Um and we'll pack it there because I don't want my identity known. Fair enough. Fair enough. Rob, where can people find you, mate? Yeah, you can find me at UTC Rob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers. So I'm absolutely more than happy to follow back on the same channel that you're listening to this. You can hear the One Man's Meet podcast with Danny at Scottish Juggalo and the real Chris Bellis. And they're looking at the forgotten storylines, wrestlers that might not get that much love, that kind of thing. Give them a listen, you won't regret it. Um, again, on the same channel you listen to this, you can hear our bonus project on Booking the Tankatory, where we're following the ups and downs of the in-ring career of legitimately one of the hardest men that ever lived, one David Tank Abbott. And uh, if you go to the Twitter for that, at UTT Tank, you can get some hashtag tank packs, such as archaeologists have confirmed that the ancient Mayan calendar did not end on December 31st, 2012. It actually ended on 26th of April, 1965, the day Tank Abbott was born. My mind was blown when I found that out. Yeah, as was the uh, ancient Mayans. Um, <laughs> some people struggle to eat with two chopsticks. Tank Abbott just uses one. And he doesn't even have to touch it. Well, uh, we have had um, Pig's Bladders did say he has heard that on occasion Tank Abbott doesn't need to use any as he literally scares the food into his mouth. Exactly. Yeah, and when Tank Abbott went swimming in piranha-infested waters, the piranhas decided to go vegan. 
<laughs> I've not seen that one. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And I, I keep saying it, but I'm going to be so sad when, when we finish Sankatori. It's been a hell of a ride. If you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. And if you want to hear more of me spouting my usual rubbish, uh, you can listen to me with Side Powell on the Doctor Who pod, where we go through, we just go through an episode per Doctor per season. We've started having guests on now. Uh, we did a draft episode for season three. We've got a few ideas upcoming for season four. And it's just... Two blokes having a jolly old time talking about an alien in a blue box. So do please come along and you can find that anywhere on social media, on your podcast providers. Uh, just search the Doctor Who Pod, T-H-E-D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D. So it's been an absolute pleasure, gents. Um, I don't actually know where we're going after this. We've got nothing booked in, but come along with us next week. I'm sure we'll have uh, something, something fun for you. Thank you for listening. That's our main event. So long for now.